and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samba Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, welcome to July. Shall we tell people what lovely podcast we've got coming up this month? Yeah, go for it. Didn't put that on our podcast plan, did I? So, uh, yeah, bit, that's why it threw me. <laughs> a bit of a surprise there for you. And um, yeah, I probably should have put that in there. But yes, because... Uh, it's the beginning of the month and we like to kind of um, tell people what's coming up, uh, whether they're kind of like backing the Patreon or if they're just um, one pound folks or n- no paying folks. Um, it's good to tell people what's coming up. So, <laughs> that's um, okay. I mean, you're, that's allowed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so people would know that the first episode we had um, this month was Games Court, Judge Big Sammy edition. Matthew, were you quite surprised by the response to that one? Because I don't remember previous Games Courts getting like that much kind of like discussion and and enjoyment uh, was that a surprise to you yeah a little bit i just yeah i i also saw like the, the most negative feedback i ever see for an episode is always games court <laughs> yeah it's like a proper like love or hate it i think um, yeah and i get that but i think the people who don't dig it like they are quite one-offs and i know they're self-indulgent but i think we we strike a good balance the rest of the time so i don't feel too bad about it <laughs> no i feel very similarly it's it's kind of a case of um i we know it's staffed and we don't do them that often just because we don't want to you know upset people no one no one has no opinions on games court i think is what i've taken away from this <laughs> um so yeah that's uh, that's that's done and out july 8th is this episode which is what we've been playing um slash mailbag um we've got loads of listener questions to go through this episode after we talk about some of the stuff we've been playing which will be fun um july 11th we'll see the release of the xl episode for the xl tier patrons um backpage pod uh patreon.com slash backpage pod top 25 metal gear moments may or may not have a guest on that one it's unclear at this point but we'll uh we'll see either way it'll be good um i've, I've, I've started the planning for it. it should be decent july 15th the Nintendo Switch Games Hall of Fame Volume 1. Anyone who listened to our Indie Games Hall of Fame will know the deal for that one. Matthew, you must be pretty pretty pumped about that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's something that's just... It's like, where to even begin, really, is the challenge. Yeah, it's like codifying what the kind of essential Switch games are. If you had to sa- save them in some kind of nuclear apocalypse, what would you kind of, like, salvage? Like the, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or whatever, or that those movies they put in a time vault in america there's like 10 of them i don't think the rock and roll hall of fame exists specifically <laughs> because of an apocalypse scenario i was i was specifically thinking of the um film preservation thing they do in america for like right okay you know <laughs> it's like west, west side story is like in a vault somewhere in case like i don't know uh, there's like a, a hydrogen bomb is dropped tomorrow or something that would cast a bit of a bad vibe on the ceremony if they're like and you're here this year's inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which, let me remind you, is here to save you in the case of a nuclear holocaust. That's right. John Bon Jovi, we're now sending you many miles underground into a titanium vault where you'll be stored for the rest of your days. Uh, I'll tell you what, that vault would be wild to find in Fallout. <laughs> that would be a great bit of world building, wouldn't it? Yeah, just all the famous rock stars have just built this like crazy hedonistic palace down there. Yeah, Vault sixty nine. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Bethesda, we are available for uh, dialogue punch ups. <laughs> uh, July twenty second is the best games of twenty thirteen. Been a while since we've done one of those. Um, since we did twenty twelve, so two top ten lists um, from both of us should be um, should be fun. July twenty fifth is um, the second part of our best TV shows of the century list um, for our XXL episode. So again, anyone at the four pound fifty XL tier on Patreon gets that, which is cool. And finally for the month, um, a big Matthew Castle episode, July 29th, 
Xenoblade Special and Catherine Castle will be rejoining us, which is exciting. Yeah, Matthew, you're going to have to power us through that one, and I'm just going to have to sort of sit on the sidelines and go, mmm, yeah, yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, pl- play like three hours of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition and pretend I know what I'm talking about, which is, you know, <laughs> hey, I've been in that position before in this podcast. It still makes some solid content. Um, yeah, so exciting month, right? There's uh, lots of lots of good uh, sort of like, I don't know, a bit more Nintendo-leaning, I suppose, as a, as a mm. month, but... Uh, but yeah, you excited about it? Yeah, it should be. It should be good fun. I'm looking forward to digging into it. Yep. Okay, good. So yeah, this episode is a what we've been playing episode and mailbag kind of combo. Um, bit of a strange one this month, Matthew. I don't know about you, but um, I've had a bit of a comfort gaming month where I'm not playing anything like massive. I haven't been like trying to kind of conquer a like 20 plus hour thing. And it's the first time in a while that I've I've, I've been in that position. So everything this month is a little bit like games i have a sort of casual relationship with um hmm. and i think uh, you know gaming definitely will fulfill that purpose sometimes i can't always have something big and sort of on big on the go how about you what was your, your month in gaming like we've been a bit sort of all over the place like sort of traveling wise for various family matters so like we've been i've been playing little things sort of here and there i've also got a absolutely massive game to review so that's basically like eaten up all my time and I'll talk a little bit about it but um you know I'm still very much like in the kind of middle of that and will be f- so it's like goodbye to everything else but um yeah just out of necessity been a very bitty month for me yep fair enough okay cool so we'll dive into it Matthew because I think actually like the quality of listener questions this month is really high so I'm quite excited oh, yeah. I'm quite excited to get to some of those so I don't think this will be like a super long what we've been playing section um, unless you secretly got another 20 minutes on the centennial case to bust out. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think there was anything wrong with that audio. You're the one who wanted to get rid of it. Oh, Matt, you know, I just don't want to talk about the centennial. <laughs> okay, good. Bottom. That's good. <laughs> Sets the tone there for the rest of the podcast, I feel. Um, first up there, Matthew. Um, so I, I'll, I'll go with one of mine. So I've been playing Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Um, Ooh. So I'm not much of a Muso slash Warriors guy, um, but I, I thought it was a good conversation starter. These games have become like critically acclaimed and like mm. kind of events in themselves. And I was trying to track in my head how we got from me playing Dynasty Warriors 3 and failing my AS levels in 2005 to like the point they're at now where they're kind of like really revered spinoffs of yeah, popular series. Like anticipated. Yeah. These games were always dunked on for kind of being the same thing over and over again. But now they've kind of got this strategy of like, we'll make a really good spin-off, prequel, sequel, um, that just happens to use our mechanics, but we'll work really hard to make sure it feels kind of authentic in the universe of that thing. Um mm. so I say that because it's just been a you know, a fire emblem three houses follow up from the Warriors series. I've not been playing that one, but it did remind me, I bought this a little while ago, um, the the Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity game, which is a, a prequel to Breath of the Wild. And I did kind of forget that like this this game was a bit of a step up from Hyrule Warriors, which felt kind of like, it felt like more of a reskin of Dynasty Warriors and a little bit cheaper. Whereas it felt like there was extra special effort here to make it fit into the universe of Breath of the Wild. And... Mm. I was curious what you made of the whole Warriors Muso thing and how these games are like. There's like a Persona one and, you know, they're just really well liked and it's kind of unusual. I do wonder if are people like really into Muso games or are they 
particularly into the licenses they're working with. Like, they've been quite canny in terms of, like, who they've worked with. You know, like Zelda, you know, Fire Emblem, but particularly now Fire Emblem after um, Three Houses, which has this very, like, um, sort of fan service relationship with its anime characters. And then Persona, which also has, like, an absolutely rabid fan base. So, you know, I do wonder, like, who who's playing it because of the core game and who's playing it because it's a spin-off of the thing they like. And that's, that's you know, probably, like, a key part of their strategy. Like, I don't, I don't feel like... And um, maybe this is me just not paying attention. This might be wrong. But I don't feel like there's, like, a vast amount of buzz around, like, the core Dynasty Warriors games. Is, do you think that's right or wrong? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Because I think there are, like, more Musou games that still release alongside these. But I'm not as aware of them. But these are, like, you know, Nintendo-published games or Atlas-published games. And like you say, I think... The license is the thing. It's it's almost like each one, the quality of each one is determined by how many niceties they can layer on top of a very predictable formula. And in the case of yeah. in the case of Age of Calamity, it's like you know really good fan service in terms of like the the different powers that the different characters have and how it looks um, and the fact that it's got loads more story than Breath of the Wild does, which is a bit strange and mm. almost frames itself as a kind of like narrative action game that just happens to have sort of like warriors mechanics in them um as and like persona i think was the same where it's like do you want to spend more time with joker and friends and it's like yeah of course people do like um so it's like a it's like a road trip that one isn't it the strikers game that's like um the kind of the framework for it but underneath it is the same old crusty formula but like but you can apply a lot of layers of polish on top and i think that makes it kind of go down smooth you know I would imagine this has been a gateway drug for people into the series because there is, you know, the core loop of hitting like hundreds and hundreds of people to power like ever madder powers and like combos. And the fact that it's quite easy to make these games look spectacular, like the actual input is is not massively complicated and using characters and moves who you're more familiar with to kind of get you into that loop and you know i imagine this this has kind of lured some people i mean they were always built you know even the original games were kind of built on like a love of characters albeit historical figures who people kind of obsess with you know if you ever read uh i think that it is an awata asks on one of the dynasty warriors games that was on 3ds um they talked about people sending them like on valentine's day the studio is like inundated with presents for the heroes in the games the historical figures right like the fan base is so rapidly into them that 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 does happen so you know that 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 they have a a kind of a a gameplay model which is designed to make individual people feel like legendarily powerful combined with like characters you are really into from zelda persona fire emblem or whatever you can see why it's like so crazy potent like i I, you know i've i've i was quite into both i I didn't mind the original zelda one you know it was a little bit bare bones and the way they kind of crammed it together was a little bit you know different elements from the different games was a little bit crude but there was still kind of fun in seeing what each new character and each new unlock did but um yeah, I think the Breath of the Wild one just felt like a much more kind of complete package. Yeah, for sure. I think the the Breath of the Wild one's just like um, I was just surprised by how many mechanics from the the main game get transferred over. 
um, like right down to like the flurry attacks and like the gliding. The gliding's pretty useless in it, but you know um, the, the different <laughs> powers and how they work the same as they do in the main game. Um, and then the fact that like it, it maintains that very soft appearance, that um, that soft, beautiful art style, and um, the, the kind of the, the flavor of it, which is quite tough. Like even down to the individual buildings you see and the feel of the places, it's just such a step up. Um, like I think, like you said on previous episodes, like performance-wise, it does occasionally get in handheld mode, particularly gets so low res that it sort of looks like you're playing on PS One or you're looking at it <laughs> through like a Vaseline lens or something, like. It, get, it does get a bit dicey, but for the most part, I'm I'm just surprised by how much I'm enjoying it, and I think it, mm. part of that comes from the fact that I haven't played one um, since uh, since the original Hyrule Warriors, and so to come back and sort of like find one of these games in this moment where they are quite revered, where they are like there there is an extra special effort made to make them fit into these different universes. It's kind of yeah a, a surprising treat. Um, and just Ooh. like I don't, there's a, there's enough of a guided hand in terms of like the le- the the level design in this as well. Like it is a little bit set piecier than Disney Warriors. It's fundamentally the same thing, moving around the map and guiding different characters. But they thought hard about how do you make you you know kind of like encourage you to play as the different the different heroes in the game, um, and how mm. to like differentiate them and how to like create objectives that are more than just batter like four hundred dudes. It's almost like the the stuff I consider the traditional Musou stuff just kind of exists as a kind of like base layer of a thing to do. And then they've mm. kind of built a nut, half of another game on top of it to make it feel different. Um, Have you got to the stuff with the the Titans or whatever they're called? I've forgotten the name of them yet. No, not quite. I think I might have just reached one of the, the bit, uh, the like maybe the first one of those. Um, yeah, they're they're handled in quite a fun way. You know, like that that's that's like a good bit of fan service. Like if you were, you know, if you were particularly into the sort of story and iconography of Breath of the Wild, like that, you can like play with the the giant. What the fuck are they called? Divine, divine? beast. The divine beast. That's it. Yeah, that's that's that's. That's definitely like a, a cool little addition. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, just a, a bit of a surprise. Um, I just yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I just I knew this game had had been reviewed well, but it was it was just a bit. I was just kind of curious about this whole operation that Koei Tecmo has, and it's like mm. I don't know. I, I I have a bit. I have quite a lot of uh, I don't know, like um, respect for it because you know, like you say, there there are still Dynasty Warriors games coming out. That series still exists, but these just feel like the. I don't know. They're just they're treated with just real care, um, and it's just surprising mm. how much longevity they have because there are so many games where the, the the mechanics remain the same, where people get tired of them. But somehow it's not happened here. And I think it's because, like you say, there are different ways into this. It's it's yeah. based on what series you like, which one you actually want to play. I, I think the fact that the person they're working with is Nintendo for obviously Fire Emblem and Zelda or atlas for persona they are game makers themselves and the expectations are probably higher i think where they seem to be a little flakier for a long time anyway was all the anime spin-offs where they're just you know buying the rights to like whatever one piece or um fist of the north star or something and then just sort of sticking it on top but i think once you have the quality control and the expectations of a nintendo or an atlas Maybe it just sort of holds them to a higher standard. Maybe that's like the magic ingredient. Yeah, I think you might be right there. So yeah, very enjoyable. And like, Ooh. I just honestly just needed a little bit of reheated Breath of the Wild to get me through <laughs> right. to Breath of the Wild Two. That was why I started playing it. Really, I was just like, 
just want a little taste, little little sniff of uh, Breath of the Wild, um, just to keep me going. Um, and I did increasingly come out of it thinking, I really hope this next um, Breath of the Wild game is tied to a new Nintendo console release. Like it probably won't be, but I would really like it if it would be. I just it would be nice to play on some shiny new hardware. Um, I don't mm. know how you feel about that, Matthew, but just because uh, it's like what six years next year, so uh, yeah, feels like about time to me. But I don't know. Yeah. No, it's that's not an unreasonable demand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Um, so what's your first game, Matthew? Uh, so I'll talk a little bit about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Oh, yeah? Um, um, are you not shattering embargoes here? Is it not like a Nintendo lawyer? No, no. So by, by the time this episode is out, uh, you can read my preview on VGC, and I will point you towards that. That's obviously who I was covering it for. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm, I'm only going to talk very briefly about it. What I really like about these games is that... Even though they're part of a series, they're kind of pretty much sort of standalone in like how they feel. Like they're each one's about quite different themes. Well, I mean, one and two are literally set in different worlds. This is set in a new world as well, and the tone of it is a little bit more low key than the other ones. It's like super soulful. I don't know, like how 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 much do you know about the game? Um, almost nothing except you have bigger a bigger party and you maybe suggested that elements of the first two games would collide in this one i think in a previous discussion well sort of it feels like mechan I, th- I think what i was getting at when we were talking about this in the pub i think like mechanically it feels like a best of xenoblade 1 and xenoblade 2 which right. i which i really like about it it's kind of quite close to xenoblade 2's combat system in that there's a lot of stuff about like timing your moves so that they sort of combo together and like the more you combo the faster certain meters rise and those meters are what unlocks like the mega powerful stuff in the combat system which is like that's sort of Xenoblade 2 through and through it's about like trying to kind of like dig into this huge reserve of power you have as fast as possible like that's its whole deal where one was a bit more about like controlling a specific character and like mastering their specific moves and each class felt different this is kind of a combo of the two in that it's got all that kind of move cancelling stuff to kind of speed up various meters and dials and whatnot but also it's very big into classes you can kind of like recalibrate all the characters to lots of different classes each class handles very differently like whether you're playing as like an attacker a defender or a healer like it feels different in battle like you know if you're a healer you're physically running around like planting kind of like nodes near characters to kind of like power them up and obviously trying to keep them alive where if you're an attacker it's a lot more about like where you position yourself like around the character to kind of get like directional hits on them things so that i really like it's like my favorite two bits of the combat system together and for the purposes of this preview because it's embargoed up the wazoo like what we were able to cover like barely scratches like anything that is in this game (laughs) like it's it's ludicrously um complex but paced in a really nice way like it's something that both one and two did really well was like they gradually introduced mechanics they also do a really nice job of tying that pacing like into the storytelling so there's a lot of like people discover like you know deeper power within them and they kind of power up into the next form and then that unlocks like the next layer of mechanics which the game will then tutorialize and it's it's just very very elegantly done so if you're into that stuff in in xenoblade 1 and 2 i think i think people will really really dig it but like i said i don't really want to like spoil it a huge amount like we're going to go into it in like huge detail in the standalone episode but um 
yeah, like I, I think it's, I'm having such a good time with it. It's really, really good, but it's like eating up every hour of the day. Yeah, it's very much this year's Greatest Tony Chronicles, where you <laughs> yeah. you played like 60 hours of it in like a month or something. And um... Yeah, I've, I've played 35 hours of this now. Wow, okay, um, yeah. But like the preview covers maybe like my first four hours. Wow, okay, um, yeah. So it's it's one of those the review I just want to I want to be really really thorough in the review because it does have this gradual unlocking of ideas. You never know if it's going to like do something really crazy and like just take the whole thing up a notch. Mm. So you really want to kind of see it through. It's it's very very compelling. So I found like in my experience with JRPGs like I'm often pulled through more by the story than the mechanics. This is quite a rare example where I actually I love the kind of power curve of like how these characters behave as well. I think that's that's like a, a real special thing about this particular series. Mm, okay, all right, well, interesting. So, uh, yeah, I think like uh, when we do the episode later in the month, I'm going to lay it out. So basically, if you don't know Xenoblade, I'll have Matthew and Catherine do a really coherent, basic explainer of what it is versus other JRPGs and stuff like that, and then how the three games uh, and X um, differentiate from each other. So. Yeah, I'll try and make that as accessible as possible. Um, mm. <laughs> much like the Destiny episode, Matthew, you never know um, what might happen by hour three, but um, we, can, <laughs> we can we can, tr- we can try. Okay, great. Well, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing more about that later in this month. Uh, later on this month, um, my next game, Matthew, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder's Revenge. Right, um, I've heard a lot about this, but haven't played it myself. AKA the perfect Game Pass game. Um, you can finish <laughs> it in about three hours. Um, you it's got like a it's got a lovely like combination of like a story mode and like um you can scale the difficulty down to easy so you can basically just like bash through it and have and, and kind of enjoy lots of beautiful looking um 2D pixel art because you know this is a game that riffs on the um classic arcade and SNES um Turtles games uh, Turtles in Time in particular is the one that I think people have the most reverence for wasn't there for that really um but that's the thing i'm not really much of a turtles head um i missed it all by about <laughs> a year or two there's like a the really is a shell a... head <laughs> is that what they're called um, i don't know tur- that sounds tur- right tur- turtle head is something else isn't it <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um this is like this is like a2m again we have to move on um oh dear yeah so uh, basically <laughs> But even without that experience, it's um, it's re- this is a really really fun game. So it's made by these developers who I think they, most of them worked at Ubisoft on the Scott Pilgrim game. Um, I think that's like the lineage of these developers, basically. So they're like they may you know they're specialists in these kind of you know side scrolling beat 'em up um, arcade experiences with really nice um, sort of pixel art. And so here it feels like a perfect sort of fusion of their skill set and license, um, where mm. you know obviously there's a huge amount of like turtles nostalgia truthfully i don't entirely get why they were so big so there was this like independent underground comic which i think it all comes from i've never read that but like um and then obviously there are these films but it's people are just so into them i saw a very sincere post about what all the different weapons the turtles carry represent about their personalities on twitter the other day and i was like this is really bizarre but then i suppose (laughs) that is weird that's like get a life (laughs) like consume some actual art (laughs) Really? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, this is like a, the sort of MCU episode all over again now, isn't it? Um, 
so but yeah but this is but what is great about this is you do have like the different turtles and um what's their rat pal called their little guardian uh, dude splinter yeah splinter and um <laughs> and, <rat pal. laughs> yeah, and april and they all have different um movesets different skills like they're, they're slightly different in terms of like range and combat and stuff and then like kind of like fire a baffling array of characters at you i've no, I, i've at one point there's, there's a lot of like disembodied legs and torsos in this game that just sort of are carried around <laughs> by different guys and like i assume this is a reference to a very well-known character but you'll just see some legs carried off by a dude and then it's like after those legs now and i just i have no context for any of it um or like there's a man who's like um can you go around collecting newspapers for me um and and like he's a, he's a journalist i'm like why were the turtles working with a journalist so i have a lot of questions about the law well, i think april's a journalist isn't she oh is she What's the yeah. ju- what's the jumpsuit for? I've never seen a journalist wear. Well, that's I... just that's just like her sort of nineties or late eighties style. Yeah, fair enough. I don't I don't question it that much, you know. Like um, it's it's just uh, it was just just lots of odd little things like that where I'm I'm sort of like, what the hell's going on? Um, but um, <laughs> it, it, the, the kind of level layout's really nice because there's a, I think there's eighteen levels in total and you select them from a. Um, I assume that the one of the other Turtles games had this, but like that Mario style um, map, um, and so you're kind of like selecting different oh, parts yeah. of the city um, to go through them. Uh, the music is fantastic. I understand this is very deep on sort of references to um, the music from the previous games and other sort of Turtles fiction. So a really rich bit of fan service. And to be honest, one I probably wouldn't have played if it wasn't on Game Pass, but because it right. was a three-hour side-scrolling beat-em-up is like the perfect Game Pass game, Matthew. Mm. Um, do you have much of a Turtles affection? Is this on your radar uh, at all? Not, not really. Like, it was it was massive when I was a kid. My mum my, my uh, wasn't big into like gimmicky toys like we didn't have a lot of like action figures when we were kids right um which kind of soured me on quite a lot of you know like i was never transformers is actually a little bit before my time by a couple of years um but turtle yeah turtles was obviously absolutely like massive when i was yeah when i was like seven or whatever um yeah it's fine i really love just how baffled you are by like all these characters because they're so dumb and basic but this idea that you just don't know who they are i love the idea of like krang turning up and you're like who's this krang guy he seems interesting yeah is he that guy who's like a head in a telly yeah he's like the brain who's like in the man's tummy (laughs) and then yeah so there's that and then there's like there's one lad who i think was like a a big sort of like rhino man um oh yeah bebop and rocksteady one's like a boar and one's a rhino I yeah think. that's right just spammed a few special attacks to take those lads out but that but like I, I feel like each one's meant to be an event and it's just like i don't know it's like they're like rick and morty characters to me i just don't really know what i'm sort of faced with um <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah it's uh you're like well you know good luck to you crank <laughs> <laughs> i'm sort of there going i'm sure this means something to somebody and then kind you of know like shredder right yeah 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 that guy he's the um he's, was he voiced by um uh uncle phil from the fresh prince in the cartoon i think he was right? oh like, yeah that's that sounds right yeah, yeah even i know a tiny bit enough about that to um to, about turtles to kind of understand that bit you know big james avery fan here r.i.p um <laughs> that's the other funny thing matthew is i think they've got some of the original voice actors to play the turtles again right but right. let me tell you um they do not sound teenage <laughs> 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 that's like they sound like sort of 60 year olds playing playing them and i don't hold that against them because you know time happened and i think they're in their 40s when they made the original series at least a friend told me that yeah. um that was 
that's a bit like do you remember when they redid um ducktales oh yeah one of the big heartwarming anecdotes they kept telling about that was like well the original game didn't have voice acting because it was obviously before before that kind of era but they got the like original voice actor of like scrooge mcduck but they were like he, he basically like recorded it from his hospital bed because he's so old and dilapidated oh jeez. and i remember thinking like give that fucking guy a break yeah. <laughs> you know like that that anecdote isn't as cute as you think it sounds <laughs> just go like, get any... oh yeah for your entertainment we got and it just sounds it sounds like a really old as fuck guy on his hospital bed like it doesn't sound like cute at all wow um yeah just yeah, go, just bad. go... Just go get any Scottish guy. Like the American playing audience will not notice if it's a different Scottish guy. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of. And in this one, like, there's the actors are like giving it their all that and, and stuff. But like, um, the one I'm playing as, I think, is Michelangelo. He's got a red bandana. I may be wrong about that. I'm really sorry. I don't know anything about these characters. Maybe it's yeah, Donatello. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Um, it's like one of his little bits of lines of dialogue. He says, "When you don't have enough um, power to use a special attack, he goes, I am one tired turtle.' But because it's an old man saying it, it's like, "I am one tired turtle." And he just sounds like, <laughs> like he needs a, a proper, like a proper lie down in real life. Um, maybe I'm casting too much judgment there. I, I appreciate his effort, but um, yeah, I just it's it's just really baffling to step into something steeped in fan service when you know nothing about what's going on. But absolutely rock solid is a um, sort of side-scrolling beat-em-up. I wish there was a game like this based on a license I like. That's what I came out of it thinking. I wish there was a Batman game like this, do you know what I mean? Like, um, where mm. you can have a different Batman villain in each um, each thing. But obviously, you kind of need that heritage to tap into to make a game must, like this, really. Otherwise, it's a bit strange. There must have itself. been a Batman side-scrolling beat-em-up at some point. I think most of them were, like, versions of that, or, like, at least, you know, action I've platformers. A, yeah, I've got, like, a definite image of, like, Batman Returns on, like, the SNES or something being, like, a punching clowns in that kind of style. But. Yeah, I only ever played the um, Mega Drive version, which I understand is a lot worse. Um, it was a, quite a rancid game, actually. But, um, yeah, so... No, I don't know. It's um, it's cool. I, I definitely think this is like this is spot on. This is more and more what I'm kind of going for on Game Pass. Less the 20-hour games and more the three to five hour things where i move on with my life afterwards so um yeah if you enjoy sort of like um baffling um body parts being carried around by various dudes you will you will enjoy this game um what's the next game matthew uh a little bit of card shark which i think you also played yeah i did and it was too taxing for my little brain (laughs) what did you find what was taxing about it it's the fact that it asks you to learn so it's a card it's like a card trick game made by mm. Nerial, is that right? The developers of uh, Reigns, who's you know, I enjoyed those games a lot. But it's it asks you to learn a new mechanic pretty much every level, or at least like all the levels I played. And you don't really master the mechanics before they move on to another one. And I feel like I'm constantly like like a real life hard drive on my PC, deleting space in my brain to make room for more mechanical sort of like knowledge of this game. And right. it just got a bit overwhelming, and and I think I just found it more of a chore than fun. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I I just felt like the, the the path through the story, like it only teaches you what you specifically need to know. And if you return to something, I I don't know. I kind of cottoned on halfway through that, like if if it was going to return to an idea that it hadn't revisited for a bit it would basically tutorialize it again. You could ask it, you know, you'd say, like, do you remember this? And you'd be like, no, and he'd tell you again. So I felt like I only ever had to learn, like, the trick I was specifically using for that specific chapter. Right. Um, I think where 
it kind of goes a bit wrong is if you actually mess up and start losing because so you're in, in this game you're going around france basically playing a load of card games where each one you've got a specific con you're trying to pull um and you're doing this to kind of you bet money and you you take money from people as you beat them but if you lose you can uh, basically you can die and then like resurrect but maybe with like less money you know the various things can happen that you can basically put out where you have to then go and like earn enough money to buy back into the to, to the game and it has a few locations you can go to and at those locations where you play for just general funds it can tap into like any of the mini games that you've done already oh, and that's where it does come unstuck because if you go there and it serves you up it gives you a choice of three and you don't remember any of them you're going to lose which means you lose further money or you die again and then you just get trapped in this cycle until it basically serves you up like enough games that you do remember and i don't know why it has that that like gamey resource management in it because yeah. it's a linear story game like it should just be like you died well here's a checkpoint you just keep doing this mission again because that's what's fun about the game is going around doing the cons like trying to simulate the life however lightly it does it of a of a con man that isn't what this game really is so it's daft that they've even tried so that's that's the negative but i do when you are like in sync with it and you're charging through the story i i really got into this what i like about it is that it's teaching you these like individual cons which are kind of a mixture of like memory tasks quick time events maybe some like timing button presses that kind of stuff um and I didn't find them like individually too complex, but I think it does a really good job of using the framing to make them feel like quite uh, high stakes and dangerous. So it's the fact that someone's teaching you this thing and in the kind of comfort of like you, you, you're sort of traveling between places in like a horse and carriage and he's kind of teaching you and you can keep redoing them over and over again but it's quite kind of soft and gentle in that environment but like you know they'll say like oh we're going up against this person like they're 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 really shit hot and they're you know you're gonna be in a lot of trouble and when you like walk into these scenes it does like elevate it that there is this kind of like sort of dramatic charge of like watch out for this guy or we're going to be in trouble like that you know can you do that thing that you mastered in the carriage can you do it like one time perfectly here which gives it yeah this sort of sense of like you know quite thrilling drama which i actually really really liked it reminded me a little bit of like um you know like in a mission impossible film where they explain the plan and then they have to do the plan and part of the thrill is like you know how it's meant to go and you can sort of see it going wrong or you can sort of see the wrinkles coming in that are going to make certain bits of it more stressful and that happens here like maybe someone will accuse you or something will happen and you have to like modify the trick halfway through the round i think it does quite a good job of serving up like twists like that which uh, that that stuff i really really click with yeah i think i think the resource management thing is the is what i was getting at of like it makes the stakes of losing too annoying too frustrating yeah. to like um when when really i kind of i just want a narrative fail state and to start again really i think um yeah which people might disagree with but i feel like i think this game auto saves when you lose as well so it's like you are permanently stuck with your progress if you're losing money and i just 
just hated that, um, which is a shame because I yeah. did I did really love that beautiful art style. That um, the yeah. presentation's lovely. Um, like you say, there is the tricks themselves are are really well um, sort of like uh, well designed, I suppose. They're, they're just there's like a mixture of complexity. There's like a simplicity to each one in terms of like how they work um, mechanically, but then um, sort of doing each one sort of like. Uh, efficiently requires genuine genuine skill so uh, each of the tricks themselves are, are great in terms of like real events that you have to learn and you have to be quick thinking and like you say it emulates mm. that mission impossible thing of like on the spot reacting and and excitement for sure so yeah that part of the game is really good um yeah i don't know it's just i just i just got bummed out by the money part so much early on i just yeah. haven't, I haven't really gone back to it i, I played about four hours of it, I think, and then I was just like, ah, oh, this is just I, just slightly too hard work, but yeah. I, I can only play it for, like, two cons or three cons at a time. Right. Like, a, it's not like, a, oh, you can lose yourself in it. There is something slightly... I guess because it's endlessly, like, you do the thing, there's a big tutorial section, you do the thing, there's a big tutorial section. It is kind of, like, repetitive in that sense, but there are definitely segments where... It all flows. Like, I think when it all clicks together and, like, you learn a thing and then something goes wrong during the con, but you manage to pull it off without, like, failing once, th- those moments, I'd say, are, like, good enough to, to make it, like, worthwhile playing for sure. And it, it ticks the box of, like, I like it when developers try to, like, make a game, you know, based on a, you know, a profession or a skill or a discipline that you haven't seen in a game before you know it's a bit like you know the simple appeal of like papers please is kind of like can you imagine a game where you play on border control and you're like oh well i kind of want to see that i like the idea of like we've you know can you imagine a game where you play as like a really shit hot card shot like i'm yeah i'm into that um so just for not being like about you know, boring things we've seen a thousand times before. It gets a few bonus points from me, I think. Yeah, I think that is the other thing is when when games have like action games have a, such a simple core loop to them. You you know, the combat is is satisfying and gives you things to get excited about. It's a lot harder when you're doing something like this, where mm. you know it is you know it is just some cards that you're shuffling around essentially, or you know you're doing something around the tables and things like that to make those mechanically interesting and dramatic is a takes genuine effort um Mm. it's not easy to do that so yeah i agree with you they've done that really well um i would just say that people should probably i reckon like if you are on the fence about it i'll just wait till it's like half price or something because if i paid a tenner for it i don't think i would have thought twice about it much um but then like uh I think as I paid twenty quid for it, I was a bit there thinking, eh, should, yeah. should I have bought neon white instead? But um, hey, right. that's uh, that's on me. Um, neon white looks too online for me. <laughs> it does. That's just, my verdict. It does just look like um, horny Instagrams I've seen turned into like a shooter. Um, yeah, but... I'm like nah, and I've seen people celebrate it for that fact, and I'm like, I'm just too, I'm just too old. That's fine. That's okay. <laughs> not everything has to be for me. Are you thirty six? You're not that old, are you? I'm too old. I'm too old for like that kind of that kind of internet culture for sure. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, I I still want to play um, a sort of card based sort of uh, fast paced shootery thing, but I did have the similar thing for thing of like I don't. I'm not really into like anime porny skull nonsense. That's not really where I'm at <laughs> in my life these days. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Maybe yeah. it's not an age thing. It's an attitude thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just yeah, that's fine. 
yeah, the valuable perspectives of two men who live in Bath. Um, okay, good. Um, <laughs> in their thirties. Uh, so I'm going to bundle two together here, Matthew, because these mm-hmm. are replays I've been doing on Switch. So I blasted through Hotline Miami Two, wrong number again, um, and I've been playing a lot of Red Faction Guerrilla on Switch as well. Oh yeah. Um, so I think I play Hotline Miami Two once a year at this point. Um, and every year I play it, I become more and more certain it's better than the first one. Um, And I think that's because all of the things that people found annoying about the second game versus the first. So, you know, top-down action game, um, we're just kind of like trying to combo together as many kills as you can while swapping between uh, sort of guns and weapons and using doors to knock people over, throwing items at people to knock them over, and just keeping that combo going. And it's very bloody 80s aesthetic. Um, The first one feels more and more like a proof of concept to me. And the second one is like the real shit. Um, and the things that people don't like about the second one, it's got quite an obnoxious amount of baffling story, and some of the levels are super big, which doesn't necessarily suit the mechanics. I've like the story bit, I still don't really care about, but the um, the actual like gameplay, I've come to terms with more and more as I've mastered it more and more. Um, there are these sections in the game, like a lot of them are just set in Miami, and you're going through these little rooms um, and just killing people um, as quickly as possible, quick restarting when you die. And then just trying to like get a high score. Um, there are these levels that really frustrate the people where you're in this these gigantic army bases. And for the first time in these levels, I've unlocked the flamethrower, and I never used this weapon before. And that has completely transformed those sections into like I was sort of going a bit apocalypse now, brain playing it. I'm a bit like <laughs> I'm going in and being like fucking yes, burn and like setting fire to shit and like um and and like getting the really high scores i was never able to get on those levels of regular guns because the levels are just too big but here it's like because the fire spreads so fast and because it's just it's so satisfying to watch enemies burn i feel like i've finally got the dna of why those levels are actually good like i i finally see why those levels are great and so yeah I, i just really really just so so such a cathartic game to play so nasty and cheap in a lot of ways but like i just i i I think like it got sevens mostly at sevens and i think it's like a i think it's like a nine for sure i just and every year i'm more and more certain it's it's like a masterpiece and yeah it's just the first game just gives you like a third of what this game gives you i think which is just that extra level of mastery different approaches you can take characters who are very distinctive um in terms of like play style some are like non-lethal characters some characters are like two characters and one's got a chainsaw and one's got a gun um some's like a one's like a big fat dude who's got like a, a nail gun and can kill people with his fists and stuff it's like just a lot of different things going on and um fantastic for the switch of course this is always mm. like a ps vita sort of heritage series but um mm. makes sense on switch so I don't know why I'm continually obsessed with this one, Matthew. Um, I, I, don't I love know, that it yeah. was seared human flesh that finally <laughs> awoke your love for this. I think it's because I never saw the animations of what happens to the different dudes when you set them on fire, and it's so nasty. But like, I don't know. It just it suits it quite well, and like just the, the flame effects. Oh, just lovely sending them down a corridor and watching three dudes burn. That's. I mean, I sound terrible. I sound like a war criminal there, but I promise you, it's good shit. Um, God, I do sound a bit twisted there, don't I? But, you know, I have these different sides to my brain. Sometimes I'll play Mutant Ninja Turtles and laugh at a man's pair of disembodied legs, and then sometimes I'll set some dudes on fire and have a great time. Um, I'd rather you had these thoughts in a video game than in real life. 
Now, in real life, I'm much more tepid. I'm just a bit like oh, <laughs> annoyed that people are taking too long at the self-service checkouts. But I'm not there thinking, I wish I could set these people on fire. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> just to be very clear about that to, um, to anyone listening. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then the the other one, like I say, is Red Faction Guerrilla, Matthew. So I installed this for the first time on... Um, on my, on my Switch, um, I've I've talked about it on before. I think in the 2009 games episode, this is the game where it's set on Mars and you destroy you can destroy buildings with weapons basically, and that's kind of a big part of the fun. It's a shooter, but the weapon um, sort of the, the the destruction of the different buildings is the real appeal of it. Um, and the best thing about the game secretly is Wrecking Crew mode, which is essentially a score attack where you're given a series of buildings specific tools and then told do as much damage as you can in, a, a, as quickly as possible and then there's like online leaderboards you can go check afterwards um and that's really really fun because you'll have things like a singularity bomb which basically creates like a black hole um <laughs> it will pull two different buildings towards it and then and then literally spin the buildings in midair and then blow up and then throw the different buildings out outwards and then they can smash into other buildings and it's just beautiful to watch this kind of granular destruction mm. um shocked by how well it runs on switch actually because sometimes you see these ports on switch where you're like was that half assed especially for a game this old but no it's genuine love got into it i hear not as good if you plug it into your telly but on handheld it's perfect and mm. i'm now third second or first in the leaderboard for every single map in this game so that's online yeah Um, yeah the caveat (laughs) is there aren't that many people playing it um some maps only have like 12 people playing them but (laughs) i will say to the listeners if you want to get red faction gorilla go into wrecking crew go to challenge mode uh, come fucking get me let's like like, let's let's start like a a thing here because i'm well up for I it i like that there's so few people playing you can treat the online global leaderboards as your own private leaderboards. <laughs> it's like a friend's leaderboard but around the world basically um so yeah oh, that's so good well, yeah this were you good at this back in the day or yeah i was like a new discovery no, I was I was always good at this. So me and my friend Andrew have been playing this over and over again over the years. Like it's a when I went to his house recently two weeks ago, I was we were hung over and we were just playing this mode over and over again, competing with each other to try and get the highest score. Um, and the good thing is that the the leaderboard thing is like a, almost like a separate mode within the thing because normally you can choose whichever weapons you want. And so if you think that throwing like remote mines at the base of a tower to blow it up is like the most fun thing, you can just do that. You can have an all remote rounds um, or remote remote mines round. Or, um, you know, like there's a gun that like melts different beams of different buildings. So you could just like granularly kind of melt different sort of supports until the whole thing just collapses like a pancake or something. Like it's nice. Um, it's just such a nicely done system that hasn't really been replicated anywhere else. And so over the years, I've come back to it a couple of times. When they last did the remaster, I played it a bit on PC, but um, on Switch, yeah, it just seems to be a perfect home. And I did buy it for about three quid. So um, I'm pretty happy. But yeah, if any That's other. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. So. Yeah, to the listeners out there, if you want to join me in challenge mode, come come get it. It's like um, there's a guy called Mr. Ox, I think he's called, who he, he's been the one I've been trying to unseat on every leaderboard. And I like the idea of him coming back to his Switch and just being fucking furious and going like um, Tony Montana in his like apartment because um, someone has gone and meticulously knocked him off of every single leaderboard in this game. So <laughs> Everyone should name themselves like variations on Mr. Ox <laughs> or like messengers to Mr. Ox. <laughs> yeah! fuck you mr ox kind of thing yeah. yeah um yeah 
eat shit, Mr. Ox, etc. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really satisfying to do. I spent all night last night trying to like get up on these leaderboards, Matthew. It's preposterous. Um, <laughs> and like the, the the deeper into the list of um, these maps you go, the fewer and fewer people can even be bothered to like to like log leaderboard scores. And so right. there are some. There's like one level that's particularly bad, but I think there's like six people around the world who have logged scores. But <laughs> if you want to join me, um, get involved because it's fantastic. Um, so yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's those are that's what I've been playing on Switch. Those are my comfort games, Matthew. Oh, that's um, amazing. I hope you enjoyed that. So, what's your next game? Uh, I've played a few levels of Sniper Elite Five, hmm. which I don't think we've talked about before. No, uh, it had this like surprise like spread of reviews from kind of like yeah, it's fine, it's more Sniper Elite to like holy hell, this is amazing. Um, got a Eurogamer Essential. So, which was kind of enough to get me to download something. A, a series I, I haven't had, like, a huge amount of love for in the past. You know, like, they've always been sort of fine. Um, I think the big problem I have with the Sniper Elite games is that, you know, the sniping and the X-ray kill cams and all, all that jazz is, is sort of fine. But there also comes a time where the game isn't about sniping you know the levels have like a range of like sniping and close combat stuff and i've always found that quite unsatisfying and the fantasy of just like you know basically completing the whole level with just a sniper rifle a bit like i imagine like the sniper mode in hitman is kind of like what i actually want sniper elite to be but actually it's a game which i feel like undermines the fun of sniping at every turn but what um yeah from what i've played of this one like it's definitely a lot more comfortable at like mixing up the kind of scale so there's lots of stuff where it feels like oh yeah this is like sniping time but then the close combat stuff is feels that much tighter and the way it kind of slips between the two modes feels a bit more elegant um like i saw some reviewers throw around like phantom pain saying it was like phantom pain-esque which is the main reason i played it i was like well you know, that kind of sandbox stealth, I think, is a dream. Um, That's why I downloaded it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's quite as freeform as that from what I've played so far. Like, there, there is definitely some, like, in the first few levels, like, a lot of, like, bullshit hedgerows kind of forcing you down certain routes. Like, it feels more like, uh, uh, you know, maybe there are, there are like, smaller clusters which you have kind of complete freedom to approach from any angle, but like around those clusters, there's a lot of map where there is a, it's a bit more kind of prescribed. So it hasn't it hasn't quite ticked the the oh my dream of like more phantom pain, which is what I'd hoped. Hmm. Um, but in terms of like feeling quite like like I say like quite a nice sniping game, quite a nice stealth game, quite a nice up close action game, that to me feels like a big improvement. Uh, as someone who hasn't played a huge amount of the other sniper elites i also wonder if i'm just like the appeal of like the x-ray cam and stuff just like i've just you know once you've seen them being extremely horrible like three games ago it's kind of harder to kind of like really surprise or dazzle with that stuff you know I never thought there would come a time, like when I was a kid, you know, teenager playing games, and you could, they started introducing options to like tone down like violence or turn off kill cams, and you'd be like, who would ever do that? Um, and now I realise I'm, I'm like, I've got to a point where I'm like, yeah, I, you know, less is more probably. You know, I'd, I'd rather be surprised like once every twenty minutes rather than seeing kind of just like 
livers pop like <laughs> five a minute you know yeah it's also it's like a slightly kind of a time-saving thing as well it's like you know i kind of want to get on my day a little bit yeah i mean i remember like was it like charlie brooker got put in one of these games and it was like a that was like a thing a skit he did on one of his various tv shows um look, oh, at, yeah. me, look at me in sniper elite playing a nazi or something something like that happened um so yeah like it that's, that's been around for a while so for me it is the, the interest is like seeing people compare it to something like phantom pain and being like you know just in videos you know snapshots of it it does look a bit like it and it's it is exciting to watch but yeah like, like you say there is, there is only one phantom pain really so um yeah it just it just shows you actually like just how sophisticated phantom pain is and how they've really thought like every gameplay mechanic in that game is tuned so beautifully mm. like here there's just a little bit of roughness to to like everything kind of like whether it's something like you know a button cue uh, like appearing like a microsecond too late or a particular animation not feeling as nice or like the fact that you can mantle this and not mantle that like it, it just you know i think that they 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 nail like kojima's crew like nailed every single bit this is kind of like you know it feels like oh you know like another another well i don't even know if more time would do it i just don't know you know if if you just have to have like the insane eye of kojima to actually notice this stuff but it it just shows you like this the, the general like feel of the thing is just ever so slightly kind of not as good also there's still problems with like alert phases in this game like I had a thing. There's the second level. It's got this like big castle in it as like the centerpiece, and you kind of walk around this big sort of stately manor thing. Um, and like I did a loud gunshot at one point, and you've got like a sort of you know uh, X-ray vision type thing where you can kind of go into like hyper awareness and see people like moving about through walls and stuff. And I could just see every guard in this castle. So probably about 30 guards, like, all running up the same staircase toward me. Right. Like, it had just alerted everyone. And, like, I would say outside of that, it is pretty good for, like, localised alert phases. Like, it feels fair. Like, if you do a gunshot in a particular area, it's, like, in earshot of these certain characters. And then maybe one will radio in and then the, the, the sphere will kind of increase. And that all makes sense. But, like... In this one location, it was like every mistake brought like an entire castle's worth of people to a single room, which is just it's just bad. Like that that stuff still happens. So yeah, like not not quite feeling the Eurogamer essential personally, um, but it's it's certainly like diverting enough Game Pass download. Yeah, like that's um, that's exactly the thing with Game Pass, isn't it? Is I prob I wouldn't have bought this probably, but um, mm. it's uh, spot on for uh, for that. And I do like the idea that they've committed to making one type of game, um, basically Rebellion. They they will make this game yeah. and they'll refine it each time and then add things each time. And it has an audience. That's that's cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But I will. But the level I'm at now is like the level all the reviews go nuts for, which is like a kind of a like saint michael's mount type thing it's like a it's like a big mm. building on like an island that you have to cross like a tidal causeway type thing to get to mm. um which apparently is a bit more open and interesting so we wow. shall see that sounds cool love a bit of saint michael's mount um <laughs> isn't there a french is that, that's what it's called isn't it there's a french one too right aren't they like is there two very similar ones is there one in france and then one in like cornwall or something cornwall. yeah the one in cornwall saint michael's mount yeah it's like 
Yeah, the, well, this is the France. This is the France one. <laughs> yeah. Why are there like two of them? I never really looked. Into I don't know. That. What's the French from out? Yeah, it's Mont Mont Saint Michel. Like, yeah, Michel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's weird. I should look up why there are two of those. That's weird. We'll just have the same thing, but in two different countries. That's strange. <laughs> I suppose it's Disneyland. Very they, similar. Just, they just had to localize it for the British. <laughs> I feel like, does the British one have a Greg's on it? I feel like that's going to be the difference. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Very good. I'm going to play that now because I, I want to see that level. That's that's, that's yeah. cool. It's like how I almost played through Call of Duty World War Two to play the level where you were like undercover at some Nazi base or something. And people were like, oh yeah, it's the one good level in this game. And I was yeah. like... But I could, it was yeah. interesting. Like, uh, Rick's Eurogamer review, like, I think this level, like, like, is what got got the game the essential like most a lot of the review is about this specific level mm. like he's just like this level is so good that you know you're like well i obviously have to play that you yeah, know that's yeah, yeah. like a recommendation you can't avoid yeah shit okay right yeah i will i will i will endeavor to see that before i die on this planet um okay good <laughs> um so uh last up from me matthew is god of war 2 um <laughs> yes. playstation 2 games so um, listeners might know that um, one of the episodes we're doing this later this year um, whenever Ragnarok comes out is we're going to do the God of War games ranked we're going to do a complete thing on that series so I'm knocking through the three games in the series I've never finished um, starting with this one um, I'm right near the end of this one now God of War 2 um, and I, I had played the original God of War a few years ago on the kind of HD um, sort of remaster they did because I was always a bit bewildered by why my peers were so into this series but I, I didn't really click with them and I think it's partly because I was looking at them the wrong way. I think I thought of them as like versions of Devil May Cry, um, like, right. a, like alternatives to Devil May Cry, 3D action games. And they are a little bit, but they're mostly like meant to be blockbuster games. And I, it, that seems so obvious playing this one, which is so set PC, so big on like monstrously large QTEs and, um, you know, boss encounters and just lots of general kind of silliness and spectacle that you realise that these are kind of like more like the Uncharted of their day, really. Um, mm. that that's what these games were kind of for. And I think they are best enjoyed when whacked down too easy and you just blast through it, um, yeah. and, like, ripping dudes apart and enjoying the different powers. Um, this one is so, so good, though. Like, And I think that one thing I'll probably... I'll, I'll save it more for the, the podcast, but what I think is interesting is I think that maybe there's a sense that these games got a little too puerile or they were too basic for like to exist in the modern age or something like that. But I feel like... They were never bad. They just probably did a few too many of them too quickly. Um, so the mm. formula got a bit tired. So they did need a kind of like a reset. But this is, you know, probably the peak of these, uh, this this version of God of War. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. it. Just It really is like, it turns basically Greek mythology into WWE. Like, just lots of pos- <laughs> mad posturing, preposterous dialogue, <laughs> silly voice acting. The voice acting, really, a lot of them do sound like wrestlers, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. And, like, I think I just really... I think I found the first one a little bit dry when I played it at the time. But this one just takes it to the next level of, like, silliness and spectacle. And, like, it's just so comically violent that it's very hard to be offended by it, I think. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, but I'm guessing you played this 15 years ago, Matthew. Um, yeah, so. well, I, I, I replayed 1 to 3 just before God, the, the reboot came out. Oh, okay. But because I played them so close together, they tend, they sort of blur into each other in terms of, like, what the big sort of set pieces and sort of thrust of them are mm. um what's the big opening of this game this is the um uh is it the colossus of rose yeah that's right yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. that's great yeah that's yeah, amazing that's, 
That's really fun. Um, I like a boss yeah, that's also yeah, a building I, I, yeah. you have to climb inside. That's that's good. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. Like, I think playing these through on like easy and just getting rid of things. I think the combat's fine. I think it like you know holds up well enough um, when I replayed it then. But um, yeah, I think like you just want to enjoy like the momentum of this thing and like the mad thing it does next and it's quite well paced in terms of like you know here's a great boss here's a great set piece here's a little puzzle here's a new area or location you know that it's mm. it's um it definitely doesn't like waste your time which i like yeah it's sort of um it's big on like um what i liked about these games as well they were very big on easy to understand mechanics like quite uh, chunky feeling puzzles in terms of like everything's very tactile it's like grab a thing push a thing you use it uses kratos's strength most of the time those kind of puzzles or like you know um really nice feeling climbing mechanics and and platforming and stuff like it does everything very very well um Mm. i I think maybe these original god of wars are just are just slightly underrated by today's sort of modern standards of of what we consider good action games and stuff um but yeah i'm absolutely loving it the second one is clearly better than the first the first one is the hydra at the start and then there's a boring level in the desert. That's all I remember about the first one. Um, but the, second- oh, the first, I remember playing the first one when that first huge quick time event kicks off with like the big flaming button cue above the Hydra's head. Yeah, I was instantly like, "Oh, this is this is really cool." Like yeah. how they've presented this, like that felt like just a big you know game changer of a moment but you're like oh i i get why people are nuts about this yeah so uh yeah i'm excited about the third one and uh climbing olympus to go beat zeus up um that should be uh the th- should oh be yeah the third one starts so hard and then it's sort of, like i just don't remember the rest of it no it's it the third one is like kind of has three peaks if i remember and then it's not really that it's kind of just a repeat in between um, mm. But it does look very, very nice. Um, he so, goes to uh, hell a lot in these games. He's like always falling down to hell and then climbing back up. Yeah, it's funny. His version of like um, Samus losing her powers is like Zeus being like, "No, fuck you. You're not the god of war anymore." And like different version, <laughs> different versions of that happening basically. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it is uh, it, it's funny, but very, very enjoyable. So did you have one more thing you wanted to discuss here? Uh, I, I was just, uh, the tiniest of shout out for for Point P more of a hey if you have netflix you also have point p it's one of the netflix games games which it's like a very easy part of netflix to have not seen because it's like in the app on iphone or android like you know they're not part of the tv service but they've added games which you can download and play through through netflix now including this which is the new game from the the person who made Downwell. mm-hmm this one is kind of like reverse downwell in that you're going up. You play as this little thing that's collecting fruit to sort of feed this giant, like, angry blue monster who's at the bottom of the screen. And the blue monster kind of shouts out recipes for fruit that he wants to eat. And you have to collect that combo of fruit in the given time or he goes mental and sets everything on fire. And that can only happen a couple of times before you die. So you're constantly sort of jumping upwards ricocheting off walls and like angling your jumps uh to try and collect these fruit chains to feed this guy i'm absolutely terrible at it i must admit but um it's very very sort of like charmingly drawn like downwell is a bit kind of sort of spooky retro this is a lot more kind of like colorful and, and sort of friendly looking um uh i must admit 
I saw Joe Screbs talking about how good the ending of this game was, so I just went and YouTubed it because uh, <laughs> I'm incredibly lazy. And uh, yeah, it's like quite. It has got quite a spectacular end. It isn't just an endless climber forever. Like there, you know, there there are there is a an, an end in sight. Um, also, like uh, you're not always having to do it from the bottom. Like as as you make progress it's kind of checkpointed so if you do die you start higher up so you're constantly kind of chipping away at it making progress um if you're into those kind of time wastery sort of you know it's not a breakout game but kind of bouncing a thing at angles game uh you, you'll probably get a kick out of this <laughs> yeah okay good I, I, I have installed this um and i think i only really you know obviously i'm quite plugged into what's going on with games so i i know this exists but i do wonder how a regular person would know um to go and find this um yeah. because you know they 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 spent it's a devolver published game right and it's sort of like that you mm. know netflix spent a bunch of subscriber money getting this made so they must have thought it was important um yeah, um, so, yeah. so they're getting uh sam barlow's things launching on there as well this year yeah that's what I, it, it, immortality right um yeah so yeah like um i assume i'll only have to be able to play that on my phone but i would like to play it on my tv if i could um I guess yeah. So, yeah yeah but you know like i think it's interesting that you do have like a uh, access to these games um yeah it costs, it costs like, nothing it, extra. i don't know it could be like an apple arcade type thing because I like that. I think the thing that the, the big box it ticks for me is it's like more stuff in a subscription I already have. Mm. Like it's not asking me to sign up for something else. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I very briefly had the Google Play Pass, um, like as a uh, sort of right. like a free trial, and I played like one game on it, and I was like, well, I just this is no reason for to, for this to slot into my life. But Netflix is something. The, the one thing I pay for by default every month without really thinking about it. So, yeah, like um. That that is good, and you know it's already like it's not like a formidable lineup, but it's getting there. It's like it's all right. Um, there's an okay yeah. amount of stuff on there, and they seem very committed to growing it. So we could a year from yeah. now, it could be quite a good little. I just yeah, I don't want this to be like a situation where like to get your new favorite game from your favorite creator, you have to sign up to like Paramount Plus. <laughs> you know, like that is I I am not in the mood for that. <laughs> I'm pretty annoyed I have to fucking pay for Paramount Plus to watch the Halo TV show, to be honest. Like, I, Can't I, you get that done in a free trial? Um, yeah, I, I'm going to have to wait till it stacks up because they're releasing it weekly, of course, even though it's fucking out in America. So, But that the Halo TV show, why is that not something that you can watch on Game Pass Ultimate? Do you know what I mean? That should just be like a perk of that. Surely that would be spot on. Mm, yeah, um, yeah so, what a miss. That's, that's mad. Yeah, so I have to go and sign up to Paramount Plus. I'm not going to watch Yellowstone, Matthew. I'm not interested. Not all of us I get excited watch by new uh, Star Trek with the incredibly handsome Captain Pike. Yeah, space uh, starship daddy, as my uh, my partner called him. Um, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was good. Um, okay, good. In which case, Matthew, we've done the what we've been playing in record time for us, one hour ten minutes, um, which is good because we've got a lot of questions here. So, do you want to read out this first extremely long one from Danny oh, Man, yeah, okay. vi- villain of the Discord? Oh, <laughs> not really. This is from Danny Man, our arch nemesis. Uh, hello, Bath Boys. Late last year, I completed Resident Evil Village. It was my first ever Resi game, and I enjoyed it immensely. The game seemed to get a lot of credit for two of its bosses in particular, Lady Dimitrescu and Donna Benevento. 
I won't mention Demetrius because, as we're all aware, this is not a horny podcast, correct? However, Beneviento uh, hit me, I hope I'm saying that right, hit me a little differently to most people, I feel. I started playing the game in November last year, but in December, I was due to become a father to our baby girl. This being our first child, I was somewhat bricking it with all the usual new parental anxieties, constantly wondering, will I be a good dad? Am I going to fuck up their lives? How can I justify to my partner buying Sims expansions instead of nappies, etc.? A little call back to Games Court there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of the final weekends before the due date, I reached the Donna Benevento boss fight. Already subconsciously worried about babies, I was now being actually attacked by an actual giant talking, waddling fetus in a game. It had literally manifested the thing I was most worried about in the whole world and forced me to confront it in an unwinnable game of hide and seek. What makes this even worse is that it constantly calls out Daddy, which doesn't sound too different to my actual name, Danny. <laughs> This felt like the giant fetus equivalent of Psycho Mantis scanning your memory card to mention other games you play just to freak you out. But in the end, I eventually killed the giant baby and now have my own real-life giant baby to look after. (laughs) Everything ended well, both in-game and in real life. Which brings me to my question, has a game ever affected you on a personal level for reasons you didn't expect? I mean... Congratulations to Danny Man who has tricked us both into reading a GameStad op-ed. That's everything I stand against. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Matthew? Um, personal level for uh, reasons you don't expect? I think one of the reasons I'm so obsessed with Last Window, the sequel to Hotel Dusk, is that I reviewed it over uh, an August bank holiday if I remember correctly, and I used to always go down and see my folks at August Bank Holiday weekends, um, and they'd often have, like, quite big gatherings down at their house, like, lots of their friends from home would come and visit as well, and we'd have, like, quite big do's or whatever, and I remember being in this place with lots of people and playing this game and feeling, like, a little bit sort of sorry for myself that I was, you know, being, like, antisocial. I was obviously very happy playing the game, but... um, it's a bit, yeah, so I don't mean this to be too depressing, but just feeling like, I remember like in my life at the time, like a little bit unfocused, you know, I'd been bathing for quite a while, I'd been, you know, single for a long time and just thinking like, ah, oh, you know, not like a huge amount going on. And that game is about kind of loners in this building and the kind of something coming to an end. It's got quite this like, uh, like melancholic air to it. And I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like I just really kind of it like I was, it was on the same wavelength as me at that particular time. So, which is probably why it's like so ingrained as this like castle favorite. Mm, that's a really good answer. I like that. Uh, like actually, I think one of the reasons I have struggled to get through Red Dead Redemption 2 is because I think the, the ending of Red Dead Redemption is so powerful, the verse one. And like mm. this insists on continuing that story or finding new ways to like tell that story. And like, that story's done in my head. So, in the right. th- I just played the first mission again recently, where you go and rescue John Marston off that mountain, and like mm. they're all talking to him, like, "Oh, he's kind of like the younger brother of the group and stuff like that." I'm like, "Why is why am I seeing John Marston again? Like, we, we his story was told so perfectly. Why do I have to hear that story once more?" And so mm. I kind of like in, in in that respect, I, I felt I think I bounced off of the idea of like we couldn't tell another Western story; we just had to like continue telling the story of this gang. Um, and that's not to take away from the many amazing things that game does, but mm. I just leave John Marston alone. <laughs> just like leave it alone because in my head that's a perfect 
moment of a video game and i know how you feel about um hanging out with your kids and shit in um, the final chapters that first game but like <laughs> i find that weird the obsession with going back a bit strange with red dead redemption 2 i don't get it really um mm. I, I understand the main character in it they do a very good job of bringing him to life but yeah i don't know sometimes i think these things affect you and it's okay to just leave them and move on and so i get but bummed out seeing john marston again it's just there's no more light needed need, that needed to be shed yeah you know? I mean, it's sort of a game about like legends and reputation as well, you know, as as are many tales of the West. So I can sort of see why it why why it might want to like uh, analyze that that particular period. But I, I do get what you mean. Like when you've got a perfect ending, it seems uh, well. I say perfect um, <laughs> when you've got an ending that lots of people seem to think is good. Um, I can understand why it would be jarring to to go back but i don't know that feels it feels like a genre where you can have those kind of thoughts yeah for sure but i think it's just uh, you can use a different um set of characters to tell that story i think and uh, mm, yeah but uh yeah hey you know i, I should play more of it before i make a, a proper judgment but um mm. yeah it, it is weird as a big rock star fan i've never ma- managed to conquer that game i don't really know why it's a bit of an oddity but i went a bit off uh, topic there matthew so let's move on to the next question um uh, I don't think we read this one last time. Um, Dear the Big Ast of Us Part 2. Um, that's a reference to a previous gag. Um, uh, so, can Matthew please clarify the difference between games that are a bit la da and those that are a bit diddle-dee? I can't be alone in my need for the podcast lexicon to really be nailed down at this point. <laughs> Keep up the good, etc. Andy Humphreys. Did we talk about this before, Matthew? I can't remember. I don't think so. No. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, la da as pretentious. Yeah. Uh, that's Gorogoa. So <laughs> Gorogoa is very lardy da. Oh, um, that's so harsh. Deep... That game's so good. <laughs> uh, no, that, no, you can still be good and lardy da. That isn't like uh, like absolutely damning. Right. It's just it's just a fact. It is lardy da. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually d diddly d <laughs> rather than diddly d. <laughs> um, d diddly d is twee. Um, like that game about that dog that does the paints painting. What? What's that? I've never heard of that game. What's that? There's that dog that paints. <laughs> he like paints the world. It's like black and white, and he paints. Oh, it. Chi- is it chicory or colour? Yeah, chicory. Like any any game which is about like being being friends and being a good person. Lots of games about. I tell you what's very d diddly d. All these games about running coffee shops or games about how nice it is to write a letter to your friends. <laughs> They're d diddly d. Um, <laughs> And it's not for me. It's like wholesome direct. It's not really aimed aimed at me. But like, it's fine. It's fine that these things exist. But let's let's not pretend they're profound. That they are extremely lardy da or d diddly d, and that's fine. There was some good stuff in the wholesome direct this year. Um, I was like that game Terra Nil looks rad actually. Um, that's gonna be good. But yes, um, <laughs> d diddly. Oh, that's so good. You know, it's like oh yeah, I get it. You're a doggy paints. Yeah, good for I- you. <laughs> I do, I do sort of get what you mean. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like it's pretentious versus twee, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, like, like Animal Crossing's a bit d diddly d, but that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. There's there's room for that in Matthew Castle's world. Yeah. He just he reserves the right to make fun of it um, for amusement on a podcast, which is what we're here for. So uh, that's why I always say it's a bit one of those things. It's not fully that. If it was fully that. If it was only pretentious or only twee, then I wouldn't be interested. But yeah. it can be a bit la-di-da. Never go full <laughs> diddly-dee. That's Matthew Carson's oh, no. advice. Oh, what? no. <laughs> okay. Um, next one. You've got another really long one to read out here. People are sending us whole op-eds here, Matthew. 
Uh, dearest greetings, Podmeisters. This is the right one, right? Yeah. I went out for a walk while listening to the most recent mailbag, and at the time of writing, I am literally lost in the middle of some woods in the West Midlands. To stave off thoughts of starvation or of getting harangued to death by Slenderman's Staffordshire-based equivalent, I thought I would send an email in. Really wish fast travel was a real thing right about now. What game mechanic would you most want to bring into your everyday lives? Keep up the pod and please send help, says James. <laughs> I hope you're still alive to listen to the answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's the next one that's really long. That was my uh, my mistake. Um, so... Yeah, I thought about this when reading James's um, question that the escape rope in Pokemon would be so, so good. Like, I'm lost in a location or I'm quite far away from, you know, anywhere else. So I'll just use an escape rope to get back to the nearest Pokemon center. Or I don't know what the equivalent would be, like Sainsbury's in Bath or home? something. Um, yeah, flat? home probably makes sense. Yeah, but like, weirdly, they take you back to the Pokemon center so instead. So I don't know if I, I would get set, sent to a building I go to a lot, but I don't live there. That was kind of what how I saw that mechanic in my head. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, the JC's idea... kitchen. <laughs> but I couldn't guarantee the it'd be there. Tent. I couldn't guarantee it'd be there. That's the problem. So. Oh, yeah. But... It might be bundled up in the back of his van, which would be awkward. <laughs> yeah, I'll just wake up just in the manifest in his, in his garage. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, very good. Or just like crammed into that little hut in the Thai hut. That would be a bit awkward. <laughs> it? um, it's closed. And you're banging on it. <laughs> Let me out. And you're, wait, you're, you're like, wait, am I locked? I'm locked inside the Thai hut with all the Thai hut food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they take the food home with them, sadly. Um, but yes, um, not that I've been like breaking in or anything. Anyway. <laughs> well, how do you know? <laughs> well, they always you always see them bring the food because they're always lifting it out of the car when they get there. So um, right. <laughs> I would assume that they don't leave anything there. Maybe they leave like some peanuts there or something um but you oh, know. you'd eat those yeah definitely. you'd eat the toppings peanuts and coriander well especially if i'm stuck there till the, like the next day or like thursday or wednesday when they reopen like if i'm if i'm in there on a sunday i've got to survive <laughs> until the next wednesday like they'll come in and they'll just be like <laughs> basically just you know a, a, a pile of turds in the corner and me and, and lots of like peanut shells do you know what i mean like <laughs> you with just coriander all around your mouth <laughs> about a stone a stone lighter um yeah uh, okay very good so, a load of turds <laughs> oh well that's what would happen isn't it i mean i would hope that, i would hope that if i banged enough someone would let me out but um there's that slightly bewildered looking man next door who's always wearing a scarf and and has some kind of like smoker's cough he might let me out i don't know um so yeah but also what if i got, got there in january and they, where they didn't reopen till march that's like uh, that's i'll be dead i mean that's that's a film that's that's uh tw- whatever that film about <laughs> the guy Franco stuck film. in the gorge yeah. Uh, yeah. like a man got stuck in a tie hut for three months this is his story <laughs> <laughs> yeah very, like a localized bath version um yeah so i suppose that that would be i would i would like an escape rope because i like the idea of going for a walk but i sometimes don't like the idea of walking back so you know, I just walk into the middle of a Bath countryside and use the escape rope. That'd be pretty good. Or using fly in Pokemon, that's kind of like the escape rope, isn't it? It's like, I'll just fly off somewhere. Or Diglett. Diglett's like also an escape rope. Um, so, yeah. Yep. yeah. Those, um, I think, ways to get out of situations is my whole deal. How about you, Matthew? Uh, I'd like an auto-sorting inventory. <laughs> so, like, anything you need to organise, you can just say, like... I want it in alphabetical order. I want it in size order. Like if you're doing your shopping, to just be able to put like everything in any bag and then for it to auto sort, like this is frozen, this is meats, this is fizzy drinks, um, that would make for very good unpacking. So I'd like <laughs> that. 
Um, Resi 4, like, so inventory hate... management. Um, yeah, yeah, like, I hate rooting around in my bag when I can't find, like, my keys or something. But this way, it'd be, like... I imagine it being, like, the inventory in a Resident Evil, like, with a grid. Yeah, yeah. Just, you can look at a thing and you instantly know what you need, and that would be good. Um, yeah, handguns here, two eggs here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, from Final Fantasy 15, having like a friend I can just hand like raw ingredients to, and then they cook me like Michelin starred food like instantly. Yeah. That would be good. I'd appreciate that. Um, I get that you could actually have though. That's something that could happen in real life. You just have to find the right person. Yeah, um, I he he kind of gets away with it because he's like royalty, isn't he? So like that that dude's got to cook for him. Basically, that's his job. I'd also like uh, my last was I'd quite like to be able to uh, like I wish the real world had like like personality meters or meters that let you see your standing with people <laughs> just so you could look at them and know if they were like genuinely like yes this person has a lot of affection for me or like this person is like just they're so clear like pissed off so i'd know to avoid them for a bit just a very uh yeah just like very kind of clear cut kind of like way of reading people's like inner inner minds <laughs> basically matthew wants a fable situation where he can just start farting to increase people's like impression of him um just like oh you know you're great to spend time with because you do hilarious farts and little dances and stuff um, yeah basically yeah. that's what i'm that's what i'm going for mm. i'd like I'd, I'd tell you what i'd use it for you know how in um like pret-a-manger um apparently they can they can give free stuff out like x amount of free stuff to people yeah I'd like to see which people get the free stuff. I'd like to see like what they have that I don't have. So it'd be like a comparison thing too. I'd like to be able to compare my stats to theirs. I've had it and twice. See why I'm not making the cut. I've had it twice. Yeah. Um, You've had it twice. Yeah, I had a free cookie and a free sandwich. Um, what? Yeah, it was this. Uh, it was like in different. It was the two different ones in Bath. So the small one I got in Bath and the big one I got in Bath. I don't know if it still happens after the pandemic. It feels like maybe that was a pre-pandemic thing, but. Yep, this, I went in at a quiet moment, and this nice woman let me have a cookie for free. Um, so it I went, yeah, <laughs> I went to Pret like every lunch for like two years when I was on Endgamer, and I never got anything free. Yeah, but do you know what though? If I was gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. Like, if there's one like RPG style stat I have in real life, it's like I call it food pity. It's like a perk, um, <laughs> and like I think that it means that I get given like extra portions when I go to places because I just look like a hungry motherfucker. And I think they're like whatever, whatever it is. It's happened over and over again. It used to happen at the Future Cafe. I think I get more chicken at the Thai Hut sometimes. Like, I honestly really? think people take food pity on me and give me more food and it is like the start of fallout new vegas you select like this perk i swear i have it in real life like people just take food pity on me um really so yeah surely you take food pity on people who are like abnormally skinny yeah i mean you would think so but like i know an overweight man who looks like he really needs a sandwich all the time like for for some reason (laughs) that just works you know what i mean there's like a neediness in your eyes I, on, I like really do think that this is this is the case. Or like um, wow. recently, we got like a lot of banana bread from the coffee shop we go to. I think I just, I think I just get that impression out of, out of people. So um, yeah, that is a real life RPG style. I think I have food pity. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Um, I wish I could thought of a more inventive answer to this now because you had quite a, a lot, a lot there, Matthew. But um, <laughs> yeah, escape rope is all I could think I mean, of. That's, and I, have that's, food pity. I, I would happily exchange the things I asked for for an escape rope. Like the idea of only having to walk. 
like one way to a place and then just teleport home. Yeah, I often fantasize I mean, about like building a bridge from like my my flat to like the location I'm going to, like a direct bridge or like an underground <laughs> tunnel or something. How often do you fantasize about this? Oh, well, I've got I've got a child's brain and I'm fucking I'm bored <laughs> after the pandemic. Basically, that's just <laughs> it happens like probably once a month. I think about that, but yeah. Uh, okay, next question, Matthew. I think we dwelled on that one long enough. Um. Hello to Yushinaka's greatest nemesis and their accomplice. Um, congratulations on making the best video game podcast to listen to. I've had plenty of work afternoons perked up by your fun and insightful chats about the ideal mini consoles, retrospectives, and looking into the future. Really well done, pals. Uh, that was before the last Game Score episode, though, so uh, who knows if he still feels this way. Um, I've been an avid uh, reader of gaming magazines since an early age. Take that, The Gruffalo. It's Edge magazine for this boy. I don't get that reference, but I'm sure someone does. And I re- remember... Well, uh, you didn't read The Gruffalo as a child, the child's book. No, I was too busy reading, like, Monty the Dog that Wears Glasses, and then the various spin-offs of Monty the Dog that Wears Glasses. <laughs> Uh, Monty goes to the supermarket and stuff. So um... waste a pair of glasses on a dog. It's <laughs> a good question. The author follows me on Twitter. Actually, he's a really nice guy. He just posts like quite naff, um, naff rhyming couplets every now and then. That's uh, that's his whole thing. Um, Colin West seems like a good dude. And I remember the cataclysmic <laughs> change when Nintendo Official Magazine changed its name to Official Nintendo Magazine uh, from N O M to O N M. That's when it became good. <laughs> I would agree with that, yeah. And also, they started binding it properly, so it didn't just fall apart when you got it back from the supermarket. The um, mm. early noughties Nintendo official magazine was the most like collapsible magazine, other than Games Master. Um, the mornings when the new copy of O&M arrived, I would find the quietest corner of my school library to sneak a read at the latest DS games, since being found out to be a Nintendo fan was equivalent to stamp collecting in terms of lame hobbies at the time. What? This is like the early noughties. That's just dem- That's just not true, Matthew, is it? Um <laughs> One day, this is like me saying no one had an Xbox. <laughs> yeah, it's just this happened. Like one person one time said something. So this was what the, all people were experiencing this. <laughs> one day someone in my year caught me with a copy of O&M with a great big Animal Crossing Wild World cover. And it turns out he was also an O&M subscriber too. We instantly became best friends, had lost days to brawl rematches and raced to finish the crossword in Shoryuken Sudoku. I wonder if it's Jay Bayliss. I wonder if he knows Jay Bayliss. And that's, that's what the story's about. Um, alas, my friend moved away to Madrid, then London, and we've lost touch for seven years. He's gone off social media, and I have no means of contact. But with a lot of luck, I'm wondering if he has discovered your podcast too. So, Alex Butler, if you are listening to the brilliant Backpage podcast too, my name is Joe, Joe Hollingworth, and give me back my copy of Pikmin, you bastard. My question for you, <laughs> gentlemen, is which game have you let a friend borrow and have been most heartbroken when they never returned it? All the best, Joe Hollingworth. Okay, a long one there, but yeah, Alex Butler, if you want to get in touch, Joe does follow us on Twitter, so just tweet the Backpage Pod account and I'll put you in touch um, and we'll, we'll make a two-hour documentary about your reunion. It'll be great. Um, so, Matthew, do you, have a, do you have one here that you... Oh, this is such a long question for, like, I don't have a very good answer for it. Um, I think Rich Stanton still has my copy of God Hand. <laughs> this has come up before. Yeah, I think he thinks like he gave it back. But I'm pretty sure he has it because I don't know where it is. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, and he, I, I, he, I would say his life is slightly more chaotic than mine. So it's more likely to be lost <laughs> at his house than at my house. <laughs> yeah, I would say that both of you should, whoever is in the wrong, should buy the other one the, a copy of God Hand on PS3. Like give them eight quid PSN credits, they can go buy it. Um, sealed. I want a sealed new copy. Yeah, that's a lot more expensive, is the thing. So. Yeah, I would want that copy back if I were you. Yeah, I, I must admit, not to take sides on this, Matthew, but I'm kind of with you on this. I feel like it's more likely Rich hasn't returned it than... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
no offense to Rich. Um, I have a so I don't really lend people games anymore because I hate this happening. Um, right. Like I, I remember I lent this kid this really annoying guy in sick form. I lent Final Fantasy VIII, and he borrowed it for the entire year. And, like, he barely played it as well. And he was like, oh, I love Final Fantasy VIII. I'd love to give it another go. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll lend it to you. He took the entire year to give it back. And then I asked I asked to ask him, like, more than ten times to get it back, which I hate doing. And then, like, after that, I was like, right, I'm never lending any motherfucker a game ever again. And so that was my kind of experience of that. Um, I let someone borrow a copy of Game of Watch on Game Boy when I was in year six. And they lost it. But oh. uh, I was really mad about it, um, and uh, but I managed to like swing like basically he had the uh, James Bond 007 game we've discussed in the podcast as of mm-hmm. last week and um, the James Bond episode, and I managed to negotiate me getting that instead of the game that I lost, and I think I got a far superior game as a result. Oh yeah! So that was a that was a bit of a blessing. I was a bit sad though because it was like one of the first two games I ever owned. I owned that uh, that and Kirby's Dreamland were the first games I ever owned, so I was sad to lose it and pretty mad. Um, but James Bond was a much better deal, so uh, mm. I won out there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, yeah, it's just I, I think I'm worse for doing this to other people. Um, my mate, my mate Dave Scarborough, um, I, he lent me Spec Ops: The Line in 2012. I never returned it. I've still got it on 360 in my uh, in my flat. Likewise, I think I still have <laughs> Steve Burns copies of Kane and Lynch 2 and Bioshock. I think I've still got those all these years later. So um, yeah, and Metal Gear Solid Special Missions. I think I've got Steve Burns' copy of that as well. So I think I'm actually the villain here, Matthew. Um, am I the bad That's guy? That's right. Yeah. I think Ben Griffin's got my original copy of Persona 5. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, you don't need that anymore. You've got the uh, Royal Edition. Yeah, so you'll but have even so, edition. it's the principle of the thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, good. Well, I hope that you were satisfied by that answer. But more importantly, I hope that Alex Butler, um, the bastard, gives you back your copy of Pikmin. Um, I'd love it if Alex Butler had listened to every episode of this but turned off because of the last game's call and then listened again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just um, or just when um, in this episode um, after you talked about point P, like I don't, not really much of a mailbag guy, and then just turn it off. <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, you want to read the next one, Matthew? Yes. Hi, both, uh, and probably everyone else who can read this. Um, is there a game that you wished you had played earlier on? I I didn't play Chrono Trigger until last year, and completely bounced off both Minecraft and Spelunky in the past, but revisited due to Game V and nominations. Uh, this is still the only podcast I, I follow religiously. Thanks for the service to humanity. That's from uh, Slip Diggers. Mm. Um, games you came too late, or you regret coming too late. Yeah, like there are a lot of JRPGs I wish I'd played when I had more time on my hands. Um, oh yeah, like Final Fantasy VI is one of those where I owned a copy in like the mid noughties but then didn't give it a proper try till much later on, and it's like. I wish when I was in sick form I just spent my time playing that because now as an adult I struggle to find the time for it. So RPGs is where that most commonly happens for me. Mm. Um, Chrono Trigger is when I came to a bit later because obviously the DS version released here. And, but I, I was still young enough to I think to for that game to really click with me. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, Earthbound, Matthew, I suppose, a little bit too. Like um, yeah. Earthbound feels like a game that would have been my favourite game when I was like 13 or 14. Um, but play, it, playing it is like in my mid-20s is a bit more bit stranger you know um it feels like a thing that was meant to be played in the 90s a little bit uh how about you i'm glad you're not like had you played it in your 13 14 though you would have become an earthbound guy um which is faintly annoying so (laughs) i'm I'm glad i'm glad you're not (laughs) yeah um Uh, yeah i i think for me like uh, there's so many of these like like when you start on a magazine and like up until that point you know you're your game buying's been quite limited, you know, because 
you know, you can only get a couple of games a year or whatever. And, you know, you've, you've got the knowledge you've got. And then you suddenly realise that you're on a magazine and you're expected to have, like, all the knowledge. Like, every month on Engamer, for several years, it felt like I was playing catch-up with something. Because, you know, there's so many Nintendo series you don't play or you didn't play or you didn't have, like, a natural affection for. and um, So the first couple of years was just, like, a mad dash of, like, oh, why didn't I play? You know, if I'd known that one day, and obviously how could you have known that you would end up working on a games magazine, I would have spent, like, way more of my childhood being, like, thorough with games rather than being kind of casual. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Um, more broadly, uh, like the thing which specifically stands out, I didn't have a Game Boy Advance when they originally came out. I got a like micro. I had actually had a Game Boy Advance Micro. Off, uh, you know, was was the the the, the physical thing I, I I finally bought. Um, and there's so many great Game Boy Advance games that I really loved, but like I just I missed that whole generation like as it was happening, and that's that's kind of fills me with regret. But at the time, it was a choice between you know buying a GameCube and buying GameCube games. You couldn't have both really, or I couldn't afford both. So you know something had to give. But that's 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 a pity. Controversially, the game I would say the Game Boy Advance was barely a generation. It was like four years, and that was it. But yeah, it's it's a fair point. Yeah, but like. I mean, you know, there's, there's like there's like twenty like Stone Cold classics in the mix. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, no, it's a great it's a great lineup, and also some of the best looking two D games that were ever made on that console. Right. Um, so no, I totally get you. In fact, on the Nintendo side, I would say that like not owning an N sixty four was my big one. Like I was so jealous of people who got into that perfect dark, you know, like unlocking loads of sh- loads of shit in the game to play. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. That kind of like sort of progression based multiplayer thing like you know their version of it i just really wish i had access to that as a kid because it was so those the n64 sort of shooters seem so much more accessible to me than the shooters you could play on pc and i just really i just envied people who had golden eyes so much then perfect dark was this very like highly coveted object so yeah a lot of n64 games get caught up in that i would say but particularly perfect dark for me um and like when i played it on um the hd version they put on xbox in 2009 it was it was still really good but i don't know like just i just know i would have absolutely adored it in the late 90s you know it's um or the early mm. 40s so uh yeah sometimes you kind of miss out um yeah okay cool uh, um yeah game boy advance is a good one matthew is there any like particular game that you were like well like you know like i i went on to absolutely love the castlevania it games from that era um, but like I played uh, Dawn of Sorrow on DS first, and then you know I, I you know only really properly properly revisited the previous ones uh, when they brought out that collection last year. You know I'd sort of dabbled with things on like emulators and things like that. Um, but you know I would have loved to have seen, you know gone gone through the progression of those games as they happened. Yeah, I get the nice reverse effect sometimes where I think that like Yakuza is a series that I could only have got into when I by coming to it when I did. Um, right so playing yakuza zero last year was the right time for me to play it because i did try and play the first yakuza several times i didn't really like it um and then yakuza zero is a much better more kind of personality full version of that kind of thing and then when you play you know kiwami you realize the original yakuza isn't actually that good it's not it's not all that so um Mm. it's like um yeah so that almost I i almost had to wait for or Another good example would be me playing like um, uh, Sonic CD for the first time last year for that Sonic episode. Like that's that to me was like a lost Sonic game. Like um, 
there was a, a you know a Sonic game from an era that I really liked that I just happened not to play because it was never quite available in the right form. Um, and then just for the podcast, I made a special effort to play it, and it was it was great. So mm. yeah, sometimes it's nice to come to things later on that you probably would have enjoyed at the time, you know. Um, and yeah, you can mm. never have played every game anyway, so you got to be got to be kind to yourself. There's only so much time of the day, isn't there? Um, yeah. Okay. Next question, Matthew. Evening, gi- gentle giants. As I recently received my volume three of Lock On, Lost in Cults, Kickstarter-funded gaming journal slash magazine, I was wondering what your take is on the recent success of these premium publications like Lock On or a profound waste of time that don't focus on news, previews, and reviews, but rather collect features and essays. With the declining interest in print media and games journalism, is this the way to maintain the existence of physical magazines that offer interesting writing and look gorgeous? albeit for a smaller niche audience or do you see them as a bit snooty or pretentious would love to know your thoughts thanks Dalroth. yeah i mean you know i won't i won't i won't mention like specific names because like people are into these things they're into these things that's fine um i will say like coming from a magazine background i find uh the few of these things that i have looked at um quite baggy from like magazine craft perspective um and you know, I think they often where where they triumph is they have these like incredible like art spreads and the you know the, the the art of them is is really like hard hitting when you see it online like they look really luxurious and that's that's you know that's great and you know they almost sort of function as kind of like you know coffee table books because of that but as actual like magazines and like I say this is purely coming from a magazine background I find them like. I feel like they've missed, like, a lot of them don't feel like they've been through, like, magazine production editors or even, like, traditional magazine designers. Like, I actually find, like, and this is super nerdy, like, page layouts, like, things like column width, font choices, like, the hierarchy of the page. Like, I find that quite unsatisfying. I think people don't understand that there is, like, a real art to making a magazine work on the page. And, like, the you know, there is, like, decades of craft that go into making modern gaming magazines and... You know, maybe that is too snooty and la dee da uh, <laughs> for people's tastes, but like I just, I that stuff really, I find it very hard to kind of get over. I, you know, a, a lot of the things that I have read um, from from this genre of magazines, I'm like, man, you know, if you cut a thousand words from that, that would really sing for me personally. Um, but that's, you know. Maybe that's just me being sad and bitter that I don't get to work on mags, and these other people have made mags work for them. So you can maybe ignore that, but that's that's sort of my stance. They're honestly there's there's like invisible craft in mags that I think people who read mags and didn't work in them don't necessarily know about, and it's really really obvious to me when I read these things. And yeah, it's just it's just jarring, but you know they are lush. The art's amazing, and I, I get it why they're huge. Do you want to read the next one? Yes. Hello, Samuel and Matthew. I have a question that Mr. Castle might consider faintly cursed. It refers to my enjoyment of the subspace emissary ugh, campaign from Smash Brothers Brawl, a take that the aforementioned described in the Backpage Discord as castle bait, surely, correct, and can't deal with this right now. Me, I like the expansion of Melee's adventure mode and the spectacle of crossover cutscenes enough to look past the iffy platforming and the bobbins enemy designs. Plus, you can twat Rayqua... I don't even know how you pronounce that. Rayquaza? Rayquaza? Yeah from Pokemon in the face of the baseball bat. 
Anyway, before this reaches Danny Man anecdote lengths, <laughs> I'll get to the point. Are there any multiplayer focus games or series that you feel are missing a trick with their campaign modes? Either they could have been done better or they don't exist and should. And of course, what do you wish they'd done instead? Love the podcast and everybody involved with it. Cheers, Balladeer. Yeah, uh, so I would, I would say it's probably fair to say that the, the single player fighting game has never really been nailed properly. Um, even with stuff like Injustice or Mortal Kombat where they do have like a, you know, a proper story mode. They're not very. They don't feel very nutritious to play, um, right? <laughs> and I've never really, I've never played a game that's really cracked that. You know what I mean? And I, I, it's funny because I think people see the Nether Realm games as the games that have cracked that, but for me, they're they're still just you playing for five hours and move on. Like it's not, it's not that interesting to me. Um, I, in terms of like games that I, that don't exist and wish they had, um, I do play Apex Legends and wish there was like a great uh, respawn single player mode to it. Um, that maybe like Ooh. involved the different characters and had more of a narrative element to characters. I find it a bit bogus when games are like, look how kind of wacky and cool these characters are um, in like MOBAs and stuff when they don't actually like have any story except like a video they'll put on YouTube and stuff. And Apex Legends, if it had like a, yeah, like the Titanfall 2 team made like a, a campaign of that quality involving these characters and the brilliant character mobility and the different abilities and um, in the game and stuff like that, it would be really, really cool. As it stands, the only PvE stuff I've played in Apex Legends is let's go to a field and fight some dogs. And like I've done that a lot in Apex Legends, and it's not very interesting. So yeah, that's one for me. Like is Overwatch 2 got a campaign, Matthew? Did I imagine that's get got I think they they Yeah, not a launch though, isn't it? Coming later there's there's like is isn't isn't it packaged more as like pve modes right right okay yeah okay well you know in theory i like the idea of a with, campaign like, with narrative game. framing i think is the deal well i quite i quite like that as an idea um so yeah i suppose that's like one example but um otherwise yeah i guess i don't i don't need more single player from my multiplayer really they're a bit binary no. in my head like even halo I, I barely played infinite single player but i've played most lo- 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 loads of multiplayer you know so how about you yeah. Matthew? Yeah, I just, you know, I think the craft that makes a multiplayer game work doesn't naturally speak to good single-player craft and vice versa. You know, there's no reason why one thing should work. I mean, I was thinking particularly along the lines of fighting games, you know, you make it work as a, as a multiplayer fighter, you know, which is the purpose of the thing, and then it's more about ingenious framing. Um, I really did hate Subspace Emissary Mode. I think it's, like, actively bad. Like, I think the game is worse for having it in it. Like, I'd rather they didn't make that mode and had instead made, like, character-specific, like, target tests, which they took out of Smash Brothers Melee for Brawl. Um, you know, it was very baggy. Like, it had a control, you know, it's a control scheme that's made for a fighting game, and it, it tried doing some, like, almost side-scrolling platforming. It's very, very rank and unpleasant to play. Very, very bad, I think. Um, Sakurai's worst thing ever, um, which is why I'm quite passionate about it on Discord. Um, I actually I love the the single player mode in Smash Brothers Ultimate, the um, world of world of light. I think it is. Yeah, it's a thumbs down from me, dog. But you know, really, yeah. I just, I mean, like it's just sort of like, kind of what if these different characters cosplayed as characters from all these different series while you're walking along this but very boring you like map? The, didn't you like the wit of like how it matched different like characters and conditions to try and like like channel some of the games it was based on sometimes but a lot of the time it just felt like a stretch 
Um, uh, I mean, like I it, don't know. I thought like as an as like an event mission mode, I th- I, th- I thought it was great. Like I'd much rather that than than they try and revisit subspace. The, um, the progression's also a complete headache. All those different little um, sort of card thingies they give you of different characters, and like they're just like yeah. a million of them, and like are just incoherent. I just um, yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, of I don't, yeah, I, I entirely agree with that. Like I I I, I could follow it enough. I just I just thought that was like. I thought that was an elegant repurposing of like what that game naturally is. You've got a game with lots of characters, lots of modes, which you can adjust with different criteria. So the idea of having a mode that's like showcased like the breadth of that um, and did it in this witty way where I, you know, like I say, I liked how they connected, you know, oh, this character, you know, this is a character who isn't in the game. We're going to represent it this way or that way with this particular combination. I, th- I, th- I thought that was really cute. Um, like... I didn't really follow the discourse around Ultimate, so I don't really know what the standing of it is. But if I if I was reviewing it, I, I would have it, that that is a thumbs up from me. <laughs> well, I, I think it's better than Subspace Emissary Mode. I think like what I'm saying is I don't think that single player has ever been properly cracked in Smash Bros. Um, oh no, not not no not not at all. But like I don't know, just as a sheer like content, I don't like the mission mode because isn't that like Mortal Kombat also has that kind of stuff, right? Where there's like the isn't it that thing where you're walking around like an endless crypt fighting lots of different matches as different characters with different conditions? And it kind of like using the story mode to kind of tease you into like all the corners of what the game has to offer. I can kind of see that as a like, you know, as a take on how to do those modes. Yeah, like endless single player with kind of different sort of like, yeah, different sort of ways yeah. to shake it up. Yeah, but, yeah I, you know, I, I mean... To be honest, I'm not like hugely invested in fighting games, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me a huge amount. I feel like they used to uh, all of them used to do these mission event modes, and it's like gone out of fashion a bit. Um, yeah, maybe street maybe Street Fighter, whatever the new one is, will 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 do it because that's got like a big campaign element to it. I think. Well, the people on uh, my Twitter feed will sure make sure I hear about it, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's good. Um. <laughs> Can I suggest muting Street Fighter? <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, okay, good. Uh, so next up, Matthew, a very simple one here. Um, got an important question for you, gents. If you were a Yakuza character, what would your big back tattoo be? A dragon, a tiger, an egg mayo sandwich. That's KH2698 on uh, Discord. Um, what would yours be, Matthew? Uh, an advert for the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just be whipping my shirt off all the time. So, like, whenever you... Because you'd basically see the back of that character a lot in the game. So it'd just be, like, r- like a URL right up in your face the whole time. <laughs> yeah, but, like, it only shows up when you tense your back. Otherwise, it sort of droops slightly, and it's, like, uh, <laughs> it doesn't quite say anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, like, I quite, quite like the idea of a food one, but I think it's just a bit too cursed. Um, and I, I think I, I see my weight fluctuating quite a lot over the next few years, so I'm kind of worried about back fat and like the <laughs> the image distorting um i don't know i think i'll just go with like um like a ps2 platforming icon to annoy matthew and like like jack and daxter <laughs> on the back and then matthew can see that and then we'll just start fighting like um like in yakuza and we'll just you know it'll be the source of our rivalry really he's like i'm trying to get people to back the patreon and you're not taking this seriously by putting characters from shit platformers on on your back and I'd be like, well, what are you going to do about it, mate? And then that's when the brawl will begin. So, um, yeah, that's my answer to that one, Matthew. Um, do you want to read the well, next Practically, one? I, I might also put just like a move list for Yakuza button combos on my back. 
So, like, when I'm in the fight, I'm like, I always know what I'm meant to be doing. That's true. If we wanted to be in unison, like, we could have, like, uh, uh, the other person's combos on the other person's back. And then you're like, you hold still for a minute. It's like, okay, that's how I do a throw. And then I'm like, okay, that's how I do a dragon punch. Like, that sort of stuff. Um, Yeah, very good. Um, Do you want to read the next one, Matthew? Uh, Hola a los dos grandes muchachos. (laughs) All this chat of theme tunes... Yeah. Uh, I guess that was related to something in the Discord. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> has, gotten you, has gotten you a spot on Radio 1 in a video game's theme tune mixtape battle. Maybe it's because I was saying there were no good theme tunes in Marvel films. <laughs> uh, you each get three tracks to put forward before the winner is picked by a demographic who are 12 when Snapchat was cool. <laughs> what three theme tunes do you each pull out to bamboozle the youth and win the public vote? That's from personal idea. Okay, so I've got um, the main Persona Five theme tune. Um, okay, I think that's a good one for like if we're talking about Radio One, then you know that's that's you know that's one that I don't think young people would be alienated by. I think they think I'm a pretty cool dude from that. Um, I'd play the Vice City theme, um, the one that plays over the opening credits, the Miami Vice style one. That's that rules. That's good. Um, but then to mix things up, I, I would play uh, um, The Poet and the Muse by Old Gods of Asgard from Alan Wake. Um, and they'd, <laughs> they'd think, what the fuck? But they'd think, this man's got a lot of layers to him. So that's my uh, <laughs> that's my strategy, Matthew. How about you? Uh, I, mean, I don't know if these are main themes. They're character themes. Um, oh, they're really niche. Um, I have to put links to them. But um, <laughs> I actually quite like... Uh, one of the lawyers in Ace Attorney Spirit of Justice, Athena Sykes, has got a theme called Courtroom Revolutionaire, which is like the like the rockier end of Ace Attorney, um, which I think is really good. I really, really like um, King Dede Day's theme in Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Um, that's the one which like goes surprisingly hard <laughs> um, with like this, yeah. I'll, I'll put a snippet of it somewhere in the episode, hopefully, because you should be able to hear it, because it's absolutely awesome. Um, and uh, mainly because we've been playing a lot of Xenoblade recently, um, uh, there's one of the battle themes from that, which is called Monster Surprised You. These are all quite niche and probably don't mean anything to anyone unless they really know the games, which, again, um, just like a very kind of rocky battle theme, but... Um, it starts with this like big trumpet that goes da 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 da, and whenever that happens, I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna have a great fight. It's like this is the start of a great fight. This theme tune. Um, so yes, those are my three. A bit more obscure. Very good. <laughs> Very good. The idea of like, hey everyone, it's King Day 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 on fucking Radio One. <laughs> yeah, that is quite baffling. Um, I think Persona, I'd get away with a little bit more. That you'd hear that and be like, oh yeah, this is this is funky. Um, this guy uh, is fellow kids in it, but he's doing a half convincing job. Uh, it's a bit too funky. That's more. That's more BBC Six. Oh yeah, maybe it is actually. Yeah. Um, hosting. Now, listen, I can't knock it. I've picked really baffling things. Yeah. Okay. Fine. It's, do you know what? It is hard to explain music on a podcast. Oh, it is. People ask why don't you do like the best soundtracks for a game, and the answer is because explaining music is really fucking hard. Um, <laughs> the, be- the best that we've done it is Matthew dissing health. That was the best. The best. <laughs> the best discussion of music's ever happened on this podcast. It's Matthew saying that, that's just one fucking drum. Emperor's new clothes. That's one fucking drum. That was the best. Um, we picked there. Um, so yeah, that you'll you'll never hear us do that podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> um, okay, uh, do you want to read this? Ne- oh, am I reading this next one? That's me. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Okay. Question for the two big men: What is your opinion on crowdfunding for games? Personally, I now avoid it like, like the plague. I was burned by backing 
DBG, then SOE crowdfunding for a new EverQuest game, which then got cancelled. And I did sink a uh, small amount into Star Citizen. We all know how that's going. Obviously, these are the risks of any form of investment, and I'm aware of success with this model too. Interested in your thoughts. That's from Iron Eddie. Um, I guess, like, we are technically crowdfunded. But, like, the key thing is that we, we give something back for what people are paying for. We make it very clear what they're paying for, and we give them what they're getting. And we tell them what time they're getting it. And I think that when you're buying anything, you just have to have that certainty. Uh, and I think that and that goes to crowdfunding too. And like I too got burned by this. I think I had three games on Kickstarter that never came out. They just took my money, and then no, nothing, nothing came back. And really? at, and at one point, uh, one guy was like, oh, "I'm going through some tough times right now," but he did disappear with my money. And so it's like, well, I don't know. Th- that put me off Kickstarter. So I'm quite dubious about it, honestly. Um, the only thing that the only good thing I really got out of any of these was probably Shenmue 3 you know that was a game they actually made and then I got a copy of like 20 quid or something and I thought that's okay I don't mind that too much but yeah truthfully I think these things are more like marketing pushes than they are actual like crowdfunding because a lot of these things a lot of these things take more money than they ask for and then like Kickstarter takes a big cut too and that's an Amazon company so Amazon are getting some of that money what the fuck do they need that cash for so yeah like uh, um uh, yeah a bit a bit dubious honestly how about you Matthew yeah, yeah, I think I think it's right. I think too, you know, maybe there was a different time when Kickstarter was less of a big thing, but now it just feels like, you know, it's more of an announcement beat. You know, you're making it one way or another, and you know, you can you can give it the whole kind of oh well, we need proof that there's interest, and that's what we're really looking for is proof, rather than you know we need the money specifically. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I I don't I've I think I've only supported like two things ever on Kickstarter. Hmm. Um, a weird uh, I uh, <laughs> do you remember Beasts of Balance? Oh yeah yeah yeah, like that Jengery thing which came with like the iPad peripheral. Yeah, um, that's a very yeah. early Kickstarter. A very early Kickstarter. I got behind that mainly because like uh, uh, former Edge pal Alex Wiltshire was involved with it, and I wanted to like s- help support him. And uh, that uh, sweary game about the the good life, which is absolute dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I knew it was going to be. I don't know what I, I like. I just I don't know why I, what I was thinking. It was like, oh, imagine that would be terrible. Uh, he made it, and it was. <laughs> um, and it was on like Game Pass anyway. So yeah, like that, what's the point? <laughs> that's that's kind of how I felt about them too. Like it was just. Uh... <laughs> It's just like there are tons of games made by people who have gone out and actually like made the game. Like they they did it. It's done now. You can go play it. Like why why back a Kickstarter where you can go buy like Kaiju Wars on Steam or something? That you know a game that people actually made and like is actually good. So yeah, I'm um, I'm very down on it. I'll be honest. I'll never back anything again through crowdfunding. Okay, next up, Matthew, are you gonna read this one? I feel like over the last 80 or so episodes, we've learned a lot about Matthew's music tastes. Randy Newman, <laughs> Divine Comedy, not health. Uh, but very little of Samuel's. What are some of your favourite music artists, Samuel? And Matthew, any surprising faves as yet not mentioned on the pod? Do you have a fondness for Norwegian black metal or a Wu-Tang Clan tattoo? Thanks, guys. That's from Sean Lynn. Yeah, this came up. Someone pointed out that I did discuss Dr. Dre's The Chronic in a previous episode, which has um, now been taken off of um, the streaming service I use, which is annoying. Um, but yeah, I got very, I got very into, um, I got very into Outcast last year. I was like always a bit of a, 
like oh outcast just the sort of hey ya uh, miss jackson sort of guys but like i listened to the album aquemini which people said was legit amazing a slightly earlier album and that was fucking unbelievably good um so that's like something i got into recently part of this is spurred on by this uh 60 songs that define the 90s podcast i listen to and it gives like the background behind a lot of famous songs from the time so that set me down like a, a rabbit hole of listening to these whole albums i hadn't previously listened to but truthfully the music i listen to is mostly like what people would describe as like boring 80s old man electro music so your depeche modes and new orders and the like um big into that sort of stuff a lot of the music i listen to these days is like sort of synthy things that have like uh like an old anime gif looping in the background on youtube that's like a music genre <laughs> i'm into um there's a there's a channel called soul search and destroy on uh, youtube i'm saying that aloud is embarrassing um but that's full of like amazing playlists of like you know kind of synth poppy stuff that was big around 2014 time but i still really like so um yeah i don't know like you know you kind of chill wave vapor wavy things so i'm quite i'm quite into that shit um and then lots of embarrassing pop songs um from the noughties that i will never discuss publicly um how about you matthew any more to like to share there no it's literally just divine comedy and randy newman <laughs> uh, i like ben folds i must do i tell the ben folds story on here you did yeah but um yeah. yeah in brief uh when i went to see him and the person came up to me and went Oh, you're Matthew from Endgamer. And I said, yes. And he went, I didn't know you liked Ben Folds. <laughs> <laughs> As if I only existed in the mag. Yeah. Um, just really made me laugh that I was just like this total fucking cartoon figure to him with no more psychological depth than you got from my profile. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have more questions here, Matthew, but I feel like we should maybe save some of them for next time just to uh, keep things yeah. keep things fresh. So why don't you, um, shall I read this last one? Then we'll call it there. Um, yeah, let's do it. Cool. We'll have uh, we've got like six more for the next what we've been playing. So mm. f- fret not, Discord. Um, we will put we will read those out. Um, there is a podcast questions channel on the Discord. So go to our Twitter feed if you want to join the Discord. You'll find a link there. Um, hey there, Backpage Pod. I'm typing this after Ron Gilbert has said he won't share Monkey Island info after being shouted at by nasty fans. My question is: Are the best games the ones that ignore their fans' demands, or can fan engagement be good sometimes? Keep up the good work. That's Bob Bob who said that. Um, he's got a longer name on Discord, but Bob Bob made me laugh, so I just put that there. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Matthew? Um, listen to fans or ignore them? Uh, ignore them always. I, like, and I say that I like I I I just I want to be surprised by by everything that I read or play or engage with in any way. You know, surprise is very very valuable to me. I, I, I hate it when things are predictable. The idea of me asking for something and getting exactly what I want uh, from my entertainment. Like fills me with dread. Like there's definitely stuff comes out where I'm like, oh, I didn't want that, but it comes from the same surprise space. So you know, I may not wanted them to go into like 3D Mario World after the Galaxy games, um, but then the same them doing their own thing is what gives us Odyssey. So I'm a happy boy again. Um, yeah, fat like what the fucking fans know. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the most famous example of this, of course, is the Mass Effect fans um, harassing Bioware till they gave them a longer ending for three, uh, and that was shit. Um, that kind of broke the floodgates on people being entitled assholes on um, on social media, and so they're we're stuck with them forever now, unfortunately. And people who like games, well, there are already lots of toxic, weird, stupid console fanboys uh, out there. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of the time, like, I don't know, a lot of the things that players need to you know people need to like learn from players it's like uh, you can probably learn from data 
in terms of like how do people play a certain game do they use one weapon yeah. more than another like that's how games like apex legends are you know that's how they're refined because they, they 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 see what the patterns are of how people play you can do that without needing to listen to people scream on twitter about things yeah um, it's, it's it's like i'd say the good version of fan interaction is is a well-run early access campaign mm. where you you know like Baldur's gate like a lot of the stuff it, you know there is feedback of like i don't like this or tonally i don't like that but the valuable feedback and the stuff they act on is the subconscious stuff you don't even know you're doing it's like heat maps of like where people are getting stuck and dying a lot and things like and that makes for a better game you know the kind of fan feedback you don't want is people who are like make it like old Baldur's gate and you're like well no there's no value to that they're not going to do that you yeah know? so yeah i'm i'm in, i'm into like like by all means mine your fans um when they don't know any better <laughs> yeah it's it's i think i think like social media can be a good barometer for how people maybe feel about a certain thing or like areas you might want to polish that sort of thing but yeah generally speaking like it's just an awful void of people shouting and like um i think a lot of the games you love would have been ruined by fan feedback like imagine kojima was obsessed with fan feedback like there's oh. so much of his games that wouldn't be that wouldn't even exist um in fact like you could argue that metal gear solid 4 is an example of of listing too much to fan feedback and giving them all the different fan service they want to very little effect um versus like you know uh, far leaner games like metal gear solid 3 and 5 uh so yeah like i don't know um i don't think there's loads of value in listening to people on social media social media generally i'm sort of like quite down on these days because i think that i think that people think a tweet is activism and it's not like it's just not hashtag Mm. is not activism that's like like that's not that's not real action it just isn't and like i think more and more i'm just down on it so uh yeah no time for them really Um, there was there was one bad justice league film and then because of social media there are now two dog shit (laughs) justice league films but dog shit in very different ways, Matthew. Um, but but equally dog shit. They've made more dog shit happen in the world. Thanks, fans. That's uh, <laughs> that's that done. Nice dower note to end on there, Matthew. Oh yeah, that's um, good. Okay, good. Of course, the fans of this podcast, we really hear you. <laughs> we 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 hear you. Some of you love Games Court. Some of you think Games Court is terrible. Um, we'll keep doing it anyway. Um, so yeah. Um, but yes, um, we will. Um, you know the. Hey, as for the like draft votes, we're not going to get into that, so it's uh, it's all good. Um, <laughs> so let's end the podcast there, Matthew. Next week, then we will talk about some is it Nintendo Switch games. Next week, I forgot already what we're doing next week. Uh, it is, isn't it? Hall of Fame, Nintendo Switch Hall of Fame. So that should be fun. Yes. Yep. And um, yeah, in the meantime, if you want to follow us, I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Matthew, where can people find you? Uh, at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. Um, patreon.com slash backpagepod if you'd like to support the podcast um, there's like a £1 tier um, which is like a tip jar tier and a £4.50 tier if you want to get the two bonus podcasts a month and um, uh, Twitter uh, backpagepod on Twitter is where you can find the discord as well links to all of our stuff that sort of thing and uh, yeah we'll be back next week goodbye goodbye